What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Can't Lie Podcast. My guest today is none other than the powerful man himself, Mr. Chad Stevens. Chad is vice president of Southern Wall Systems, an avid CrossFit athlete, a fearsome competitor, and an active and successful investor. We get into his strict morning routine, why he goes to bed at 8 p.m. and actually turns his phone off at 7 p.m., the overreach of government during the virus, his investment strategy, breathing techniques that he practices, the unfortunate choice we are now presented in having to vote either the person or the policy in the upcoming presidential election, and much, much more. Please check it out on YouTube as well. Just hit that like and subscribe button if you would, please. Then give it up for the one and only Chad Stevens. Chad Stevens, welcome, my man. Oh, I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited. What was your, what's your morning routine like? I'm curious. So my morning routine's a little intense. Um, when I get up, the first thing I do is just try and not pick up any electronic device, which is pretty, pretty difficult for me. The first thing I want to do, because I go to bed so early, I turn my phone off. So I'm anxious to see, you know, what all, who's called me and text messages, things like that. But I try and keep it to the side. And when uh, you say turn your phone off. Do you mean off? off. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll totally turn it off. Whoa! So how when, how how can people reach you if there's an emergency? Call my wife. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what time do you turn the phone so off? No no, no work. Uh, around seven. You yeah. turn your phone off. Power off. Yeah. Well, I'm seven. in bed by probably eight o'clock. Oh wow. So yeah. So that leads straight into why it's hard not to immediately turn it on, see what's happening. Yeah. But uh, so. It, Instead of instead of looking at it, what I try and do is I, I read a devotional and I try and just sit there and just have like kind of a, a peaceful, um, you know, not trying to be cheesy, but sort of a spiritual moment, just relaxing. When it's warmer, I'll go out on the porch. But the reason why I'm doing that is because I turn my sauna on. So I'm waiting on the sauna to heat up. And then once that's done, it's probably 20, 30 minutes in, I'll go get in the sauna. Let me, let me, let me back you up a little bit. What time are you getting up? Uh, five thirty. Five thirty. Yeah. Crawling out of bed, turning the sauna on. Uh huh. Having a devotional, mm-hmm. inside or outside. Out. It, it, depending on the weather. One, depending on the yeah. weather. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure. Got it. Continue. So yeah. So then by that time I get in the sauna, um, I'd go through uh, the first ten minutes of it is uh, pure meditation. Sometimes I use an app. Sometimes I don't. Just depending on how I'm feeling that morning. And the last ten minutes are typically painful you're just trying to fight through and you know a lot of people look at the sauna as oh, i'm just going to get in there and kind of get warmed up get a light sweat on for me it's like more of a mental thing i'm really trying to push it mm. and uh you know my, my last minute there it's really like hand on the door can't wait to get out and uh i track that um then after i sauna i immediately go to the shower and i'll take a cold shower uh, pretty brutal in the winters here. Uh, when you say cold, you mean cold? Like all the way yeah, cold? Yeah, all the way cold. All the way cold? Yeah, all the way cold. Oh, you know, some mornings, like this morning, you know, I go in fully cold, um, and then I'll just, you know, reward myself at the end and turn it up to warm sure. right before I get out. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So by that time, I'm pretty engaged, pretty, pretty awake and alert. Have you had any coffee or tea at this point? Yeah. 
Yes, yes. I, I left that part out. When I'm okay. doing the, uh, uh, while the sauna's warming up, that's when I'll, I'll take coffee and just go out and just try and relax and mm-hmm. just try and connect. And uh, yeah, that's when I'll drink coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sauna, shower, and then is it to work from there or is your routine yeah. over at that point? No. Or? So I also do a breathing routine every morning. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty basic, but it's, I find it really, really helpful. Um, I test myself in the truck because I got, I drive the same route every morning and without, well, let me just explain what it is. So it's basically, it's, I'll take three rounds of 30 deep breaths in and try and make my breath circular, you know, no pause in between the inhalation and exhalation. I'll go 30 reps in and then I'll hold my breath within blowing all the oxygen, all the air out. I'll hold my breath and see how long I can go. So I started at the same point at the top of my driveway every morning and then I try and make it like I'm up to now trying to get past old Hickory and Charlotte Pike. (laughs) I'm like really pushing. Accounting for the 30 breaths in and out and then the breath hold. Yes. And so obviously introducing some strategy there, the longer you can make your breaths, those 30 breaths in and out, that's going to help really help so I've with getting got, farther. Or, so, so it's really the only portion that's extending my drive from the competitive angle is I pause the app because I'm on an app because the app's structured locked in at like a, you know, eight minute window. Okay. So it'll tell you when to take a breath in mm-hmm. um, when your hold is over and I pause it. So you have the ability to pause it there okay. to extend it that way. Okay. So the only way you can extend your drive is from the actual breath, breath hold, hold itself. itself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you're cycling through that three times. Cause that three seems times. like a lot to me. 30 breaths in and out is, seems like a lot. So I would say probably I've been doing this for over a year. Um, but I, I would bring like my niece or my wife or let them experience it. Uh, and it's pretty difficult. It doesn't sound hard, but uh, it's pretty intense, the effect that it has on your body, because I think we've gotten so used to, you know, the shallow breaths and mm-hmm. we don't really think about it. So um, for them to do it and for new people to do it, it's, it's challenging. And it sounds really simple, but if mm-hmm. you're to go through the process and... And, and attempted, I think that it uh, it definitely has an impact on you. That's not easy. Yeah. What app are you using? And that app, I'm curious on. You mentioned meditation. I think you mentioned an app for that too. Maybe, maybe I missed that. But I'm curious on the app for meditation. And then what's the app for the breathing? So the breathing, um, it's actually through Wim Hof. I don't know if you yeah. recognize the name. So he has uh, he has an app, but I choose to use his. He's got an Instagram post that I just. Okay. Continue to look at there. Like I've the got same it saved. one? Yeah. Okay. I've got it saved on my Instagram, and uh, I'll just play that every morning. The meditation apps that I use, I, I started out with Headspace. I think that, that one's a pretty consistent, pretty easy one, especially for beginners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also um, thrown in, and I still use Headspace from time to time, depending on the morning, but then I've also introduced uh, Insight Timer, uh, which is a really cool app because it's got just multiple different uh, people that come in and they uh, have different uh, different meditations like morning meditations, you know, spiritual meditations, sleeping me- app meditations. I mean, there's just really there's a lot to choose from, a lot of diversity there. And it's a free app. 
Okay. Um, which is which is really cool. Yeah. Um, have you are you familiar with Matt Clark with Churchill Mortgage? He's the chief operating officer and CFO at Churchill Mortgage. And um, I think Churchill Mortgage is the second biggest mortgage company in America. They're big. They're based in uh, Brentwood. Oh, wow. And um, he was on the podcast a while ago, and he has a very particular morning routine and evening routine. It sounds very similar. He, he didn't sauna, but he it's it's very, very structured. And mm-hmm. he gets up early as well. That seems to be a common thread with high-performing people. Um, the uh, and, and I'm particularly curious because what the people don't know is that I do, which is that you're a, a high-performing CrossFit athlete. I mean, you're one of the. Let's just be honest. You're one of the best in our gym. <laughs> I mean, well, thank you. It's <laughs> well, I, pushing I, it's, forty, it's, so I'll take that. Are you really? Yeah. yeah. I thought you were over forty. No, no, no. Okay, no, I'll be thirty nine next month. Oh, so. you're, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, then I'm thirty. I'm about to be thirty six. So, <clears throat> um, sauna is it traditional or infrared? Traditional. It sounded traditional the way you're talking. Yeah. So twenty minutes. Uh, it depends on the the heat. So, I. The the sauna that I have it's a it's a nice sauna but depending on but I have it in my garage so depending on the outside temp it could play a role in how long it takes to get up to temperature so I try and get it up to around one eighty at a minimum okay but sometimes I'll get in just a little anxious and it's below one seventy and so I'll in in those sessions I'm in there thirty plus so okay. I keep track of the time I have to track everything to compete with myself. Mm-hmm. I think that sort of leads in with the CrossFit thing too, but I, I track my sauna sessions too. Um, so I'm just, I look at it as a way to competing with myself. And there's some mornings where I'm in there for 40 minutes. There's some mornings where I'm in there for 15 mm-hmm. because the temperature is just really, uh, really how intense the temperature is. Um, so, and and it's funny because I was thinking this morning when I was in there of how, <laughs> I'm trying to track what I think the temperature is based off of the heat going through my nose without looking at the temperature. I'm trying to guess it <laughs> just right. So you guess, you, you'll feel the heat and then look at the temperature and see yeah, how close like, you are? I'm like, it's like telling the time. I'm like, oh, okay. that's 190 right there. I look yeah. at it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a one ninety two right there. I yeah. can tell that. Yeah. Um, does your wife sauna as well? She, uh, yeah, she does. Um, she's a big uh, bath person. Okay. Similar in the benefits to some extent. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there is she, there is some similar benefits there. I've been hearing. Yeah. yeah. So if it's if it's hot, obviously. How oh, yeah. long have you had the sauna? Uh, probably a year, year and a half. Okay. Before that, I went to. Uh, there was a, a, a athletic center off of uh, Hillsboro Pike, some, some close to uh, close to Bellmead, that area over there. I would go there. Literally, had the membership solely for the sauna. Mm-hmm. That was the only purpose that I mm-hmm. use it for. Um, but having your own, you know, if you can afford it, it's definitely because I can keep it really clean. You know, I'm not relying on the exactly. Plate, so, and did you look into infrared versus traditional? Or did you not really look into the infrared? I, I did because infrared is, I think, 
the easier one to buy. Just I think so. Going on to websites and different and run suppliers. right. It's a little easier to just to sure turn on and it's, go. Yeah, it's just it's it's easier. But all the data that I looked at, um, I couldn't find anything on infrared as much as you know we could traditional. You know the 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 studies coming out of Finland that they had the you know that they followed four hundred people for twenty years doing the sauna and finding the benefits there is all based on traditional right so and you know related to the heat shock proteins and release of it mm-hmm. so my brain is more geared towards the the stress aspect of it I yep. don't get in for pleasure I get in to really try and stress my body yep. And uh, so I think traditional is just a better fit for me. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I know Joe Rogan and Dr. Rhonda Patrick both. Well, I know certainly Rogan, and I think uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick's big fan of traditional. Yeah. And um, But then I had Candice Bruder on, who owns Pure Sweat Sauna here in Nashville. A couple locations. And she, she's franchising now. A really great company and a really great brand. It's, she's done a good job with it. And, and so... Um, she has one or two franchises now, but she gets, I mean, she's, she would franchise anywhere really in the country, I believe. And, um, she only has full spectrum infrared saunas. And I did that in, for the month of August and I just did it unlimited. So I went every single day, seven days a week. And then, um, had, uh, another, um, what was his name? Dr. Um, Reisman, uh, Stephen Reisman, Stephen Reisman, Dr. Stephen Reisman. He's in Brentwood, and uh, he is a fascinating guy, and he's big into the holistic health space. And I love what he's doing, and he's a big fan of infrared sauna also in particular. So, I mean, I'm hearing like kind of both sides. We want to get one here. There's a couple of, I think there's space here to to have him over there. And um, I was leaning towards infrared because that seemed easier to buy. It seemed easier to plug in and go. Um, and it's a hundred, what, what I was doing at pure sweat was 145 degrees for 45 minutes. What I kind of like about the traditional is it's hotter and a little bit shorter, but the 145 degrees for 45 minutes is not pleasure for me. I mean, it's, it's all I can do to stay in there for that 45, 50 minutes. Sure. And from, from what I know, I'm by no means an expert, but from what uh, my understanding is, is with the infrared, is that it actually penetrates deeper, raising your core temperature. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine that 145 there in an in infrared is pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. I felt like, I'm curious if you feel that the sauna helps your CrossFit performance because you've been doing CrossFit for some time and then, well, so you've owned the sauna for a year, give or take, but you said you were doing sauna even before that. I felt like there was a couple of workouts in August that when I was doing sauna every day, I did a little bit better on that workout than I maybe should have. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like the sauna helped improve my performance. Have you noticed that at all? Do you think the sauna helps you improve your CrossFit performance? I do think that I saw a, a slight benefit there. The thing with me is that you know, I'm... I'm constantly crafting, trying to find, trying to optimize my performance. And I do so many things in conjunction with each other. It's hard to really pinpoint that that was the mm-hmm. source of it. It's more of like an overall, what I've been doing, how I've been implementing multiple different things to see if that increases my performance all and then mm-hmm. slightly tweaking things. But I, I think the science supports the fact that the sun and, you know, specifically the traditional and the release of the heat shock proteins definitely can have an impact on your performance. Mm-hmm. I think Doc, I think Rhonda Patrick has um, 
has some good commentary on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know she's a big runner, and she talks about how the sauna helps her on a run. She can go farther. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really interesting. But I, I, I think if you were to ask me point blank, yes or no, I think definitely it it's a positive. Interesting. It definitely helps performance. Do you ever sleep past five thirty? Very say weekdays. Very rarely. Um, I don't. I don't have an alarm. I just. I get up. Um, and some mornings, you know, with the, with time change, um, not so much time change, but you know, now that the, the mornings are darker, the sun's not up as, as fast. I can go to like six. Okay. Um, but I'm in slowly back and then, cause we just saw where it's getting, it's darker in the mornings. Yep. And uh, so my body will transition and get back to five thirty. Interesting. So it like cheats a little bit and then catches yeah. on and goes back to, man, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. No alarm clock. It's just your body's yeah. rhythm. It's a, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, what time are you like heading out the door then jumping in your truck? So I don't really have an, an exact time that I want to be in the office. Okay. I'm really focused on that morning routine. Like I said, with the sauna, I'm not trying to rush that process where it's like, oh, man, it took an extra 10 minutes on the sauna to, to heat up. I need to, I'll, I push through. I want to stay in an extra 10 minutes and compounding. And I don't rush it. So I'm typically out the door by 7. Okay. Um, Okay. It's, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not late. Um, Speaking of not rushing that, I, I think it might, it might wind up being a lifetime memory because I still remember it now. And this was probably when I was 15 years old, but um, grew up in, in manufacturing, we built storage sheds. And as a kid, like I worked there as much as I could, because I really liked it. And I remember one summer I was working there and um, the foreman at the time was a guy named Curtis Dolphus. And he came, I mean, he's the guy in charge and, and of the shop. And, um, I think we would start at like 6am or something. And he came in late. It was like an hour, it was like an hour and a quarter. Like it was, it was fairly late and everyone's giving him a hard time. I was like, what's going on? He was like, I missed my alarm clock, slept in a little bit, got up, had my devotions, had my breakfast like normal and came to work. Like in his, in his mind, um, that was an acceptable thing because he slept in, he was still going to go through his morning routine basically, and then come to work as opposed to, Oh crap, I missed my alarm clock. Just grab something out there and just run to work right away. And that kind of stuck. Like he has something that works for him in the morning. <clears throat> the mistake was sleeping in, but just because he made that mistake doesn't mean he's going to like ruin, sacrifice, you know, sacrifice his the, routine. Yeah. What do you believe? So, you must believe something to be true to have that amount of discipline. And that's, I guess, what's a little bit interesting to me because I've had that amount of discipline at certain stages of life and I don't have it now. Like I don't have that kind of robust morning routine. If I think back to like, I guess what I believe to be true back then, I definitely had a little bit more discipline, more, um, uh, I, I wouldn't say hope for the future necessarily. I have that now, but like, I guess I believe different things to, to, to think that that amount of discipline is going to be worthwhile and the benefits are going to be there. Like, what do you, what do you believe to be true to put in that amount of discipline? So I, I think the the obvious answer for me is that it's proven to have benefits for me. I've I've wrestled with a an extreme temper and just very aggressive in work 
um, probably in my early, you know, early 30s, late 20s. And there was just sort of paradigm shift. I mean, I went to a um, to a men's retreat uh, one weekend. I guess it was probably back in 2015. And it's funny because I remember being at the gym that they, and just having an awful day. And I was supposed to go on the retreat that Friday. And it was a weekend-long men's retreat. And I remember just being so agitated and aggressive at the gym. I threw a water bottle across. This was at Forte. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I just threw a water bottle across the gym. I was mad at everybody. I'm like, I'm not going on this. But I ended up going. My wife talked me into going. She's like, look, you committed to it. Your friend's one of the hosts there. And I was like, I'm not going. It's just out in the middle of the woods with 20 strangers. that I don't know. But I did that, and... It was really just a weekend of no phones, no electronics, no TV, and you know, fifteen, twenty strangers there. It's really just connecting and talking and meditating. And, and I left that. I remember driving home that Sunday and thinking to myself, "Was like, there's something to this. Like, I feel different. Like, I, I could. I remember. It's almost like I was removed from myself, looking back at my actions on that Friday and thinking how ridiculous I was. Like. Mm. Why am I getting upset about this stuff? And so ever since that weekend, um, I've really tried to make a a conscious effort to stay in that place of positive uh, positivity. And, you know, at at this point, I don't know that I could go back away from that disciplined lifestyle. I can't imagine what my morning would be like if I just... Woke up, had coffee, turned my phone on, and then hopped in the truck and went to work. Right. I just, it, my gut tells me it would not be a productive day. Yes. Um, so that's why I believe so, so firmly in a, a structured, intentional would probably be the best word that I, I have an intentional yep. morning. Yep. Um, and it, it certainly carries through the rest of my day. Yeah. Uh, I have family that read the book. Morning, doggone it now. Um, My morning ritual? Not that. Miracle Morning, I think. Miracle Morning. Have you heard of that book? Have you read it? Yeah. Is that the one with the guy who had like a... Can you pull that up, Andrew? Because I'm not too familiar with it. There's one I read. um, I can't remember the the author's name, but he had like... uh, He was diagnosed with a pretty serious disease Mm. and decided to rearrange his mornings. Oh, interesting. It It might be called My Morning... My Morning Miracle. Okay, so this one is the Miracle Morning. I think that's the yeah, book that I that's was. That's it. Is the that mir- the one? Yeah, is that the guy it. that had the has a disease or had yeah. a disease? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Al Elrod. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. I have not read that book, but I guess let me be honest with you. I was thinking it was sort of a fluffy, you know, kind of shallow self help sort of situation where a guy was like, talk about some morning routine and sell some books. But now knowing that he had a illness, I guess I feel like I want to read the book now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a really, really cool book. Um, took took away a couple things from it, um, and, and tried a couple things that he does. But again, the the general um, summary of that is just being intentional with your mornings and trying to be thoughtful and planning mm-hmm. your day ahead. And, yeah, um, evening. What are you? And are you are you uh, sleeping from eight to five thirty? Because that's uh, quite a bit of rest. Yeah, so I'm in I'm in bed by eight p.m. Okay, yeah, um, sleeping by like nine nine thirty. 
I'm out pretty quick. Oh wow! I'm, I'm okay. probably asleep. If 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 I'm still awake and it's eight thirty something like, then I will go um, and and do a meditation at like a sleep meditation app. But that's super rare okay. for me. Um, I have a difficult time in hotel rooms, which is funny because they used to be a perfect place. I love sleeping in hotel rooms, mm-hmm. but now for some reason. Um, I have a really difficult time sleeping in hotels, so I'll go through and I'll do a sleep meditation app, and you, that that knocks me out pretty quick. I haven't finished one yet. Usually they're they're twenty minutes long, and I'll make okay. it probably ten minutes in, and I'm having to turn it off because that the voice is waking me up. So oh, okay, interesting. And what what app are you using for that? The Insight Timer. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, gotcha. Um, I. Generally, do not have a hard time falling asleep, but occasionally something will get like so I feel like it's stuck in my mind and I can't get to sleep. And last night was one of those times I didn't get to sleep till probably close to midnight. I feel fine. I mean, I slept till six and then hit you know, snooze until close to seven. Um, I feel good. It just it that really frustrates me. There's almost nothing that frustrates me more than not being able to get to sleep. It's uh, it's so bad. Um, I took a melatonin. I don't know if that really helped. Um, but what I do sometimes is just to like try to get my mind out of the thing is listen to some ASMR. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Which apparently some of the ASMR gets like sexual and weird and stuff like that. Um, but just like. Yeah. I've, I've got friends who's <laughs> like that. Just listening to someone scratch a mic on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just makes you sleepy. There's a science to it. it you know, it's funny you say that because uh, my my sort of strange relaxation is uh, when I'm on a flight and they do the they go through the uh, safety routine. Yeah, flight attendants. I'll immediately I turn everything off and I just sit there and pay attention because it calms and relaxes me. Yeah, it's yeah. Really strange. There is something, but there's a science to it. Yeah. And um, some people's voices are like that too. My goodness, I was on the phone with a his first name is Wendell from the office of the Texas uh, Comptroller Comptroller's office yesterday, and um, this guy's voice, man, I was having a hard time staying awake on the phone call. It's just like yeah. there's a cade, there's something with a there's a science to ASMR. It's the cadence, it's the it's the it's the particular yeah, the tone movements, the tone, all of that. Um, all right, so you mentioned something about tracking things on a spreadsheet the other day is that morning or is that evening so i, I enter in the information in the evening because okay. the uh, and, and there's there's just a whole range of of things that i track um and i'm going to grow it next year i'm going to add a couple more columns the um but the the key there is i'll just have an overall rating for how i felt that day on a scale of one to ten um, you know, like yesterday, I was like 8.4. I felt pretty good. Not my best, but, you know, try and try and stay in, in, in tracking also my routines for the day. Um, the sun, the cold shower, uh, devotional, what I talk about thoughts for the day. And then I'll have like a good deed. What what did I do to help somebody out mm-hmm. that day? And, uh, and then put an overall mood. So that's pretty... Um, I, I just started doing the actual spreadsheet for 2020. Okay. So I made notes and did some journaling and things. I'm, I'm bad at, at consistently writing, but I'm super consistent at a spreadsheet. Uh, sure. 
Yeah, I can resonate with that for sure. What time are you getting home in the evening and or what time is dinner? So I eat, uh, I'll get home. Here lately, I've been getting home around 2.33 because mm-hmm. I love working in my home office. Okay. It's just more peaceful. There's no, um, there, there's not a lot of distractions there. Um, I don't have kids. Okay. Uh, it's <laughs> rare that my dogs, they're older, they don't mess with me. But I, I have a lot less distractions at home. So I'll get home roughly 2.33. And we target dinner for around 5.36. Okay. We, we catch a lot of heat for my friends. They think that we're old yeah. old people. I'm like, yeah, that, that's truly yeah, not what rough. I feel like. Yeah. I, mean, it's just, <laughs> I want to eat because I want to be asleep. Yeah. Right. And then... Um, Diet. What is, do you mind sharing your height and weight, by the way? I am 5'9", and I've actually lost some weight, so I'm down to about 177. 177. So I was up to 177 just three weeks ago, and um, I was back in L5 Fitness for like two weeks because I had a bad lower back, and that healed. And last um, Tuesday, I think I have a pulled or torn... um, intercoastal muscle it's like the muscles that hold your rib cage together and this thing is tender man and it is it's not like it feels as bad today as it did a week and a day ago it was sore the day before we did the split jerks we did split jerks last tuesday yeah and i went somewhat heavy on the split jerks and i think that really did it and um and now i'm down to like 173 so i would like to when i get when i don't work out i don't I get soft and I don't feel good and I get a little gut and things like that, but I don't put on weight. Actually, I put on, I put on weight when I start working out at CrossFit. I kind of like to get to like 180, 185. I, I'm the exact same way. So, you know, it's funny you say L5 because I, I had hurt my back coming. Um, it was that gap that we had there when we were shut down with uh, COVID for, I don't know, three months there. Really didn't do a lot. And you got to think that I had been working out at a minimum five days a week for the previous six years. So now I've got this three-month span of trying to go jogging and like... Right. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) So I'm like, oh, man, it's just... uh, so of course, but but the other thing, it wasn't not it was not only the working out. I took for granted too the thirty minutes I get to the gym beforehand and do all my stretching and oh, okay. uh, mobility things. So I'd lost a tremendous amount of mobility. I was so focused on the strength that I lost and the cardio, uh, you know, the, the cardiovascular fitness that I was, you know, down on. But the, I think the key there was that I, I also wasn't stretching. And so to try and pick it back up with that focus on strength and build and get back my muscle mass, um, the form had gone, especially being an older athlete. You know, I don't have the natural dexterity I did 10 years ago. So there was some, and and that's what, of course, caused my back injury was, was the lack of dexterity and lack of mobility and having some less than optimal form. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that, that, time period of coming back i'm like you i'll i don't i don't gain weight i lose weight i yeah. lose weight pretty dramatically yep. on my frame 10 pounds is a lot and that's what yep. i dropped you dropped 10 pounds 10 pounds yeah for, for, during your back injury yeah I, oh I, that is a lot pre I, I would say in february um i was around 185 okay felt great my okay. uh, um 
body fat percentage was low, mm-hmm. um, around 10 or 11, uh, which is optimal for me. That's where I want to be. And, um, and so, and let me back, I know that that's a little high for most people. Most people mm-hmm. want to get super shredded, but mm-hmm. for me, I think my best overall, how I feel is around that 10 to 11. Okay. And, uh, was feeling, I mean, was really feeling great. And it felt like I was, I was performing in the best I'd ever had mm-hmm. been. And then when all that happened and I just saw the a dramatic decrease mm-hmm. in weight, muscle mass, strength, my strength's still, still down. And we've been back in the gym now for months. Yeah. Um, it just takes such a long time to get that back. So you feel like your strength is still down from having missed. And I remember your, your back injury was pretty serious. I mean, it, it, it looked pretty bad for some period of time. You still, you feel like you still not gain that strength back, which would be both from the injury and from COVID having shut the gym down. Sure. Correct. For both. Yeah. It was kind of the, it, it was the sort of the perfect storm. Um, Another factor that plays into that is I have gone, like I go to a doctor pretty frequently. I go every 10 weeks and get my blood checked and I check my levels. And the doctor that I use, um, he he specializes in trying to optimize uh, male performance, uh, oh, cool. overall male performance. And, you know, I went through a phase where I had really low testosterone, so we tweaked that tweaked a couple other little things like vitamin D and just hormone levels. So I've been really conscious of, of trying to make sure that I'm at my, my peak performance. But um, I went, I got off of that for, because my wife and I are trying to, to start a family. Mm-hmm. So I've just totally removed from that, trying to remove everything, get back to as natural as possible. Okay. So you compound that coupled with, COVID coupled with the back gotcha. injury is just like the perfect storm. So yes. now I'm trying to build back. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you feel like if you're strong and optimal that you want to be at about 185 pounds? Yeah, that's my target. Okay. Yeah. I haven't been 185 pounds, oh man, much at all. I'm not actually sure if I've ever kind of broke. I feel like I broke 180, 182 back when I was like late teens. I was just pounding. I had a... we. <laughs> My younger brother and I got a book about like bodybuilding and um, I wouldn't want to do that now because I don't want to trade what you get with CrossFit just to have like a big bicep or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But we were, I mean, we would, I would eat like <clears throat> a dozen eggs right before I go to bed and just pounding the protein. And I think I got up above 180. I would like to be 180 to 185, honestly. Yeah. Because I feel like I can get there if I have the strength. But so you've been... Well, let me ask you about your diet. What what is your diet? I'm not as intentional. I don't have a really honed in structure. Like I'm not counting my macros to okay. the nth degree like most people are. I, I I'm not saying that I won't ever get to that point, mm-hmm. but I'm just really conscious. My focus is on eating clean, real foods. And try and put an emphasis, especially here in the last month, because I'm trying to put weight back on, on healthy fats. Okay. That's really my target. Such I, as? I tr- I've, ate, I've eaten more avocados in the last month. I mean, I'm really starting to get burnt out on it. But yeah. I eat, <laughs> so in the morning, in my, in the, my morning coffee, I'll put in a tablespoon of butter. I'll put in collagen protein. Um, so I try and get some healthy fats right out of the gate there. 
Um, now that I am in this aggressive trying to put weight back on, I, I will eat eggs, bacon, things like that every every other day. Okay. So like yesterday I ate, today I didn't. Um, tomorrow I will go back and eat some more. And I'm just tweaking my morning uh, diet intake, just seeing how my weight's going, seeing if it's progressing in the right direction. For lunch, uh, again, just trying to find... For for so long there, pre-COVID, I would just go to the salad bar at Sprouts every single day. I did that oh, Okay. Yeah. I, ever <laughs> since they opened, I was there every day, and I'm just getting salad, tuna, chicken, just loading it up, cheese, trying to get in as many greens as possible. So I'd eat a massive salad. And uh, dinner, we do um, a couple of the delivery services like HelloFresh, and we had Blue Apron for a while. So it's pretty clean. We craft it to make sure that it's less carbohydrate driven, more clean. So really, I don't have a good, you know, I I do track on a a keto diet app, which I'm, but I'm not keto, but I use it because I love the app. I think it's a great tracker. Okay. So I will enter in and just check sporadically to see, make sure that my macros are are reasonable. Yeah. But I eat pretty consistently the same thing every day. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the, the term my buddy used, who I, he got on a keto diet and has lost 70 pounds in the last Whoa. year. Yeah. Uh, he, he said that his big mental shift was that he went from living to eat to just eating to live. Mm. And, uh, I think that that's really the approach I have is I don't eat for pleasure as much as I do really just, yeah, uh, sustenance. Yeah. Same. I do not like, uh, eating during the workday. And so for lunch, for example, well, I'm in, I don't eat breakfast and I don't eat lunch. I have a protein shake after I work out and then I'm, I eat from like 5 to 10 p.m. every day. And, but I'm on the carnivore diet right now and that gives me the energy through the next day. I'm really not hungry during the day. So I really like that. But back when you know, I was eating breakfast and lunch and all these things and you're at work and you're busy, like the last thing I want to do is go to lunch or sit down and eat lunch. Like I just wanted a pill just because mm-hmm. like I like to just eat because I kind of had to for sustenance, you know? Although having said that, I still like occasionally, you know, going to a really nice restaurant or making a really great steak and then just like enjoying that to the full, you know? Uh, Absolutely. So I'm kind of, it's kind of both ways on that. If it's just an everyday thing, let's just get, get me what I need to be healthy and and keep going. But occasionally let's really like enjoy the food, you know? So I'm, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. On the off. So right now you're saying every other day morning you'll eat eggs, but on the off, like this morning, did you just not have breakfast? So I, I, I sort of saw, fall in the same boat that you do is I'm not super hungry in the mornings okay. or, in the, or during the day. I think that's what made me so great uh, pre-COVID when I was at my optimal weight of 185, did a tremendous amount of intermittent fasting because I was a huge okay. fan because I thought it was easy for me because I really, really didn't have an appetite through the hours of the, the morning until, you know, 1, 2 p.m., um, so I want, I, I'm excited to get back to that because I felt great on that plan. Um, but for me, I really think right now with the, trying to climb it back, I'm really just trying to take in as many calories as possible. Okay. Um, so, but that is the ultimate goal is to get back to intermittent fasting. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, that, that makes sense. And are you taking creatine or protein? shakes or anything like are you are you supplementing with anything right now i've increased 
with this weight loss, I've, I've just recently increased my protein shake intake. Um, I've always taken collagen protein with coffee in the morning. Okay. Um, but here lately with the weight being down, um, uh, that I, I've definitely taken in an afternoon shake, mm-hmm. um, which is, is strangely tough for me because my body doesn't seem to, to, um, it doesn't, I, I can tell that my body's really sensitive to taking that in at that time frame. It's not, I'm not a huge fan of how I feel after it. Oh, interesting. But protein put, shake in the afternoon? Yeah, it's, it's oh, weird. I feel kind of bloated okay. after yep. it. And I've sort of tweaked it between, you know, almond milk and water and mm. just doing different things. So I'm trying to find that balance there. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, yes, I mean, there's definitely been an, an increase in protein shakes. Creatine, I haven't done as much. I used to do it pretty religiously. Um, and then it came up on one of my lab reports, like I said, getting tracked every 10 weeks, one of my lab reports, um, my doctor didn't like the fact that I, my, I was retaining so much water. Okay. Um, you know, great for, for lifting and things like that, but he didn't like it for some health reasons. So I scaled the creatine back. Okay. Um, but I don't really supplement beyond vitamins. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and I take a lot of vitamin D, but beyond that, I'm not doing any type of hardcore yeah. supplement, GNC supplementation. Sure. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either you mentioned preparing to start a family that <laughs> reminds me of, uh, let's see, Lincoln's 10. He's our oldest. So this was, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Um, when my wife and I were getting ready to start our family, you know, I was, uh, man, I went hardcore, like <clears throat> obviously no soda, which I don't, I haven't drank soda in years and years. And I mean, I think that's an easy one that people should probably cut out in general, mm-hmm. but no soda, no, no bourbon, no alcohol, no cigars, uh, no hot baths, definitely no, um, no, uh, hot, hot tubs. And we were in Hawaii at the time, and I was like, we were we were on vacation, <laughs> and I was like doing all this stuff, trying to be like optimal, you know, yeah. to to start this family. And then uh, <clears throat> we have five kids, and so by the time like the fourth and fifth kid came along, um, I remember with Jericho, he's our third boy, he was the fourth kid, and um, we were we were we were about ready to like, you know, start uh, getting ready to like try for that fourth kid. And he came along like a month early and I hadn't like cleaned up my act yet. And I was like, oh man, this kid's just going to be like, he's going to like have six fingers and all this. Yeah. And you know, he's fine. He's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> but you, we cared a little bit less as like we yeah, had more kids. We were a little bit less uh, particular. Um, what I like about, man, what I like about uh, your height and weight and age is I feel like you know, unless your genetics are just much better than mine, which obviously that's certainly a possibility. I really don't have many excuses on why I can't getting closer, can't start like getting closer to your performance. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing, there's nothing you're saying with your diet that I can't do. There's, you're, you're not, you know, there's nothing, uh, you're going five, six days a week and working out. I can do that. Like there's, and yet your performance is considerably better than mine. So is it maybe the six years of consistent work that you're putting in? I think so. Okay. I think it just boils down to the, the, the duration that I've been doing CrossFit just with the movements. Um, it, it has a tremendous advantage. I mean, there, there's, 
you know, we, we saw that with some of these younger 20 something year old kids coming in the gym who are just, you know, built perfectly for CrossFit. They've got the natural endurance or beaming with natural testosterone. Yeah. Know? But there's a lot of things that I still beat them at. And it yep. just comes, it circles back to the fact that I've been doing this for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing CrossFit before CrossFit was cool, the, yep. that type of mentality. And it's really just fine tuning. Because it's not about, it's not solely about how strong you are, how fit you are. There's this other side to how well your movements are, your range, perfecting your range of motion, perfecting the, the entry, even the, the thruster. It's not only perfecting it to where you've got that thing, the bar resting in a perfect position where you're not taxing your shoulders, bouncing, rebounding out of the bottom, but also is breathing through it. I've mastered, I say mm. I'm, I'm still constantly working on it, but your your breath work through the movement too all plays a role that I think can have a tremendous advantage yes. over just raw, brute, natural talent yes. at the time that I've had. For sure. The breathing thing is interesting because I have noticed, occasionally Evans will remind us to breathe through a particular movement or something. And it's a good word because some of those movements you do sort of forget to breathe through. Um, it, but the breathing thing is it's so critical because what's is what I love about CrossFit is you have these constantly varied high-intensity functional movements, and you'll go from – and I feel like Evan does a really good job at this – is mixing like the three movements we're going to do through the wad. Those are good three movements to mix together. And if you don't breathe through, you're just gonna you're just gonna gas out so quickly. So the breathing thing is is critical. Yeah. Do you think when it comes to some of these twenty somethings that you can still beat? Is it the the almost decade of CrossFit experience, or is it your mental toughness, or a little bit of both? Because man, there is that trigger in your mind that just wants to 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 stop or slow down, probably quite a bit earlier than you really would have to. Mm-hmm. And and it's funny because uh, that uh, we've, we've hit on several times now, the weight now I'm trying to get my weight and things back. But the, the, one of the biggest things that probably the number one thing I'm trying to get back is that pain cave mentality is how much I'm willing to push and take. Um, That for me is really down right now. Mm. You know, we're getting to the point in these workouts where, Last year I didn't stop. I knew it was going to be really painful, but but now my my mentality is really like oh, I'm just going to let up. Right. I'm fighting that back. So it's a fight. That that's probably the more difficult fight than it is to try and pack on my muscle mass and get my strength back. Mm. It's really in these wads trying to push through because I know it's going to hurt. Like yesterday was a prime example. There's there's no reason why uh I should have stopped when I stopped 15 seconds early. I could have repped out 10 more. Sure. It's like, ah, why? Why? Yeah. So there's that battle too. It's a mental struggle. And that, to me, I think that's one of the biggest reasons too, besides the competition element of CrossFit, but the, the mental battle that's there every day, you're going to war with yourself every day. And that's the way I choose to look at it. And it, it's a similar mentality that I take into the sauna, into the breath work, into my actual job and work too, mm-hmm. is, is acknowledging that the struggle's there mm-hmm. and how much of it are you willing to take on Yes, the fight. exactly. And that dynamic of competing 
with other, that mixture of competing with other people and competing with yourself at CrossFit too. There's something about that that I really like too, because sometimes in some workouts or some days based on how I'm feeling, I'll straight up try to, to, to beat someone. And it's all about just competing with someone else. And then others, and most days, it's just trying to do your best and get a little you know faster and stronger and, and trying to like push a little harder than you think you might be able to. I just like that mixture. Um, I think I have my wife starting next week. Oh, really? Yeah. She's oh, been doing awesome. yoga consistently for some time and, you know, uh, Lord willing, we're done having kids now and that bridge has been crossed and <laughs> five's enough, five's enough. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we were having kids every two years. So it's like, you know, when you're breastfeeding babies and things like it just kind of keeps, you know, it just more or less keeps the fat off is my understanding. Well, now that we're done having kids, like she's got to, she's going to work, work a little harder to yeah. keep her body in kind of the position that she'd like it to be in. So, um, I was, uh, you know, we talked about CrossFit off and on. Uh, for a while and she's not like a natural i don't she's not like it's not like she's like want love wanting to go to crossfit because you know she doesn't have that competitive nature and those types of things but i think you know i think it'd be a great fit so we'll see how she likes it um yeah. <clears throat> andrew can you pull up uh chad's uh, facebook post i saw on your facebook page you had um the uh a comment about just go to Chad, Chad Stevens, the, um, gym getting shut down. You had a good post on that. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> because I try my, like I'm, I try and remove myself from any type of political, you know, hot topic debates. I don't, yeah, it's hard. Uh, yeah. but, but I try and just stay removed from it. But, I think this moment was just the epitome for me of frustration mm-hmm. because I, I, I'm I'm removed from it and I try and focus because it's really easy, especially right now, to get bogged down in the constant fighting. There's a new issue, something else to debate every single day. Mm-hmm. So I have to remove myself from it and think. It's like... What's how am I being affected in my day right now? Mm-hmm. You know what? If I just turn the phone off and go through my day, I, I've got it. It's it's just so much more positive and a, and a better experience. Yes, but this particular thing is just really where I was directly impacted in yeah. my day to day. It's like, don't mess with my church don't mess with Jim. And those, those were like the two places that I go outside of home and work. Yep. And, and for those things to just be up and removed. Yes. I was okay for a while, but then I realized that we can do it reasonably and enough information had come out about it. Right. And this particular day just seemed to be a day where I just had had it. I'm like, what do you, we're being as safe as possible. We've got, 800 square feet to ourselves. Nobody's around. We're spraying everything. And so, yeah, it's exactly. like we can do this safe. Just leave us alone. It's yeah. really like freedom. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. We can laugh now, but at the time I was literally on, like, I was ready to lose it. I was so frustrated. Well, what's, what's crazy about this, I see the date on this is May 8th. So is this when Evan got shut back down? He opened yeah, a little was... bit and got shut back down because that, yeah. that really sucked. And so you just have here... 
Today marks the first day that I'm disappointed to be a Nashville citizen. Our gym owner has gone above and beyond to keep members safe in the gym clean, which he really has. He's done a really good job. Every member is an adult, that's a key point, and has the ability to judge what risks they are or aren't willing to take, another key point. Yet today we had two overweight, uh, overweight quote-unquote, health department reps come in to tell us what's healthy and shut it down. That's an interesting, you know... A little frustration that, there. Sure. Um, not trying to be dramatic, but how is this not tyrannical? Our gym owner, soon to be father of three, will probably go out of uh, business because he has already been crushed by this. How is this not in direct conflict with everything we are taught about the Constitution? Uh, and then this note, every day is a gift. Life is... Ooh, you lost me. You lost me, Andrew. No, you're on some other Chad Stevens. <laughs> it was working. Don't touch it. Uh, that's another Chad. Anyhow, the point there was every day is a gift, and but we're adults. We can make our own decisions. And what was interesting about this here is this was May. I get the hysteria in February and March because no one knows what's happening. Sure. This thing's coming over from China. The whole world's going to crap, apparently. No one knows how to fix it. There's no vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then we learned a lot about it. And to shut down a gym, a CrossFit gym of all the gyms you could shut down in May, when we know more about it, it was really weird. And I think what is... I think when you just look at it objectively, it's like this is kind of the this is sort of a a byproduct of some of the weird ways in which everyone is looking out for their jurisdiction and then not really like abiding by common sense. What I mean by that is Mayor Mayor Cooper is in charge of Nashville, Davidson County. So he's going to make his laws. And then across the county line in Brentwood, you have the YMCA, which Evan said is the busiest gym in the state of Tennessee, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes from CrossFit. And they're open and people are coming in and out. And it's a YMCA, which means, no offense, but your health per attendee is probably not quite as good as a CrossFit gym. And so now you have a you know less populated, better gym, 10 minutes from a more populated um, higher chance, I would think, of spreading, and 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 it doesn't really make sense logically. Um, but it's like everyone's looking out for their own. I mean, you see it kind of at scale right now with like people fleeing California. Um, sure, that governor's looking out for his state, and he's just going to do what he needs to do, I guess. Then people are going to make decisions based on there. And right now, a lot of people don't like those decisions as being made, and they're leaving California, coming to other places. So. The risk here was Evan's in a bad, really bad position because, I mean, shoot, if Evan was had been shut down for a long, long period of time, people would have to leave. You'd have to, and now the poor guy's out of business. Sure, but it's I not, like it's not like a CrossFit gym membership is, you know, super cheap. Ex and, no, it's not super cheap, and it's not mandatory, and it's totally you know voluntary and. And I mean, that's just, it's a free market. So if, if people aren't going to keep paying that membership for if they can't go to the gym, but during that time, what I think got missed a lot with COVID with shutting down this gym in particular, it, it, I had a direct experience with that, but I think it's a bigger thing with COVID is, you know, when they shut that gym down, I can't go to the gym now. And if I'm not going to a gym, 
it's a bad snowball for me. Like I don't, I'm not as healthy. I don't feel as good. And quite frankly, I go into a bad place mentally. Like it's not a good, it's not a good snowball in that direction at all. And I think we're seeing that kind of at scale now with COVID and the social distancing and the impact that's having on people's mental health and depression and suicides are up. Alcoholism's way up those types of things. So I was just, uh, I just wanted to kind of bring that up because I agree with uh, all your sentiment here. Yeah. Um, and, and you touched on it, the, the compounding effect that it had on so many of us that use CrossFit as obviously a, a, a channel to stay healthy, stay fit, keep our bodies stressed, in shape, but also just the, it, it's almost like a, a break and release because there is a lot of uh, the community side of it. Um, you know, getting to talk to the guys, getting to see you every day, talking, mm-hmm. just chatting about the day is kind of like a, a stress reliever. So oh, yes. it was just multifaceted, the things that were being taken away. And the, and the thing that bothered me so much about it was that he, Cooper elected to just do a blanket policy. He didn't take the time and it, it wouldn't have required an exorbitant amount of time. I know the guy's busy, but all he had to do was be able to differentiate between a mega gym and a boutique gym, mm-hmm. you know, very simple. Take the time to iron out and understand which business. Was he just said, "No, nah, let's just shut everything down. Yeah. Everything needs to be closed." And it's like, man, you're what you're doing there by not taking the time to differentiate between the two has a dramatic impact on your citizens. Yeah, like, and at a time where I feel like we need to be at our healthiest. Mm-hmm. We need to be at our healthiest, not only physically, but emotionally and socially. Yep. That's when we need it. And he just yep. yanks it all away, thinking it's under the flag of greater good. Yep. It's like, man, no, uh, I think it would be best in this scenario. You leave it up to us adults to make our own decision about our life. Yes. And that, that was the part, that, the, the ending part of, of the last thing I said on that post was that, you know, Every day is a risk. We're taking risks every day. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, we're statistically more likely to die on the way to the gym than we are to get COVID done. Yeah. So every day is a gift. And, you know, to, to just do that, it just really didn't sit well with me at the time. Yeah. Well, I think the, first of all, there's a massive difference between Planet Fitness where they're serving cookies and pizza and, you know, you're just sort of walking on the treadmill quite a lot. Or, you know, over there pumping some weights or what whatnot. But there's a very big difference between that and a CrossFit gym. So I agree with your assessment. Let's look at, let's put a little bit more time and effort into it. And furthermore, um, my understanding is that gyms, through this whole process, at least in Davidson County, gyms were largely tracking with restaurants and bars. Is that your understanding? Like whatever the restaurants and bars were kind of allowed to do, the gyms were allowed to do. It wasn't like gyms were open when restaurants and bars were still shut down, right? So they sort of tracked the the same trajectory. I'm I'm not fully confident in this memory, but I want to say that gyms were a little more they were more harsh on gym owners than they were restaurants because I think that there was a point in time where restaurants and bars were allowed to go to 25%, but gyms were still in like that secondary after the fact Mm -hmm. phase of reopening Mm -hmm. to where they could come in. So at a minimum, they were equal, which was pretty tough. I mean, the toughest of any business. Um, But there there may have been uh, a little bit harsher. um, Which is crazy. Which is is wild crazy when you think about it. Yeah, I just, you know, just a total difference of opinion. 
as somebody who is really conscious and constantly is trying to study and optimize my own body, you know, for me, I feel like I know what's best for myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have somebody not me tell me what's best for me when it's like, man, I study this every day. I'm tracking my, everything I do, I track daily, trying to optimize how I feel. But yet this guy who... I put the quotes behind, you know, yeah. health department yeah. coming in and, and basically being judge, jury, and executioner of not only my personal health, but like I said in the post too, is this gym owner, he's got a family. He's about, to have, he's about you know, he's on his way to having his third child and yeah. he's already lost half of his members. And yep. it's like doomsday's approaching all because you're like, yeah, you don't want to take the time to differentiate. Yes. It's really just a bad situation yeah. for me. That is, it is ironic when you think about it that, and, and I don't know Mayor Cooper's details and I don't need to, but I think it would be safe to say he's probably a little bit overweight. Just a little bit. Absolutely. So I mean, you have that, and then you have these health inspectors that walk into that gym a little overweight. And that's like one of the biggest things. I mean, obesity, age, certainly pre-existing conditions. I mean, those are things where COVID is uh, not so kind to. So you have what seems to be people not living a super healthy lifestyle, maybe not caring so much or seeing the value so much in activity and exercise and eating clean and getting sunshine and having, you know, make sure you're taking the right vitamins and those types of things, really not caring or seemingly caring or paying too much attention to that, making these laws that has a direct impact on sort of like a high performing physical specimen such as yourself. I mean, it is kind of ironic when you think about it. It's super strange. And I, I mean, we take it for granted in this kind of, I've taken that for granted for my previous 38 years on this planet. I've, I've never thought that one day someone could come in and overrule like my day to day life like that and have a tremendous impact in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a blessing that I've had that, ignorance up to this point it's mm-hmm. definitely something that I'm, I'm really grateful for but man when you when you shine that light on it and again i even phrase it in my quote is like i'm not trying to be dramatic here right. but how is this not tyrannical i mean this yeah. is basically the definition of it here yeah it really is but the other aspect that you touched on too that i was hearing uh megan kelly just started a podcast in the last two weeks i think and she was talking yesterday i was listening to her conversation with candace owens a little bit and one of the things they were discussing which you you also touch on in this post and you just brought it up is that um there is risk built into everything we do all of the time and like you mentioned we're at a greater risk driving in the car through the traffic to get to the gym than we are going to CrossFit Forte and contracting COVID there. And the media is doing something right now that is pretty unprecedented. And and certainly they're not doing with all, all things, which is tracking the cases and the deaths so specifically and so um, no, not specifically. That's not the right word, although that's, that works too, but so dramatically. And so pervasively, and you know, they're not tracking deaths, you know, so far this year from tobacco, which tobacco is the biggest killer we have in this country and it's totally legal and people are doing it every day and no one's talking about it. Like half a million people die every year in this country from tobacco use, but they're not, the news is not tracking that. They're not tracking deaths from 
um, car accidents. You know, they're not tracking deaths from alcohol overdoses, which is a massive killer in this country as well. Um, so there's a lot of things that they're not tracking, but they are tracking the COVID deaths. And so by nature of, you know, these news outlets that have a monopoly sort of on people's time and attention, they're basically discipling the people of America. I mean, this is something that, that, that TJ mentioned our pastor at, at, uh, in a meeting, you know, a few weeks ago, like, but right now the church is being fairly, fairly well out discipled, you know what I mean? By all the news and everything that's going on, there's this inundation of information and drama and, you know, partisanship. It's, it's crazy. Um, but anyhow, just to bring it back to the point of there are so many risks that we all take every single day, whether I'm on my phone a little bit and you see this all the time, if I'm on my phone a little bit driving down the road, I'm endangering you. No one's talking about that. But if we happen to walk within 12 feet of each other and, you know, you don't have a mask and I do. And yeah, like, here comes I'm the on, sirens. Here yeah. comes the sirens. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild. And I can't speak to, uh, you know, the editors at these media outlets and what. But I, I think the common sense everyday person like myself is what I consider. We I definitely know that something else is going on. There's ulterior motives there, a reason why they want to spend that. And I try, I mean, it's really easy to get because that's the thing too. And I, I try and find where we're responsible for it in some degree. I always mm-hmm. try and look inward first when I'm confronting a problem. What did I do to contribute to it? And I think as a society, we've gotten to this point where we're consuming this stuff. Right. They're, they're definitely, you, you got to give them some credit, the media, you know, the editors and the outlets, they understand what it is that we like to consume. Yes. And definitely COVID's one of those that's right up there where people can't help but click on it and look at it. I mean, are you, are, is the everyday person going to really be intrigued by another person dying of tobacco use, even right. though that it's such a huge, mm-hmm. a huge factor? So, I'm 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 not trying to defend media at all because I think that they're playing a, a huge negative role right now in us as a society. But I do think we need to think about what we're consuming. Mm-hmm. And the the big takeaway for me is that I don't know if everybody has the ability. I, I hope they do, but I hope people are are, are conscious enough of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to acknowledge it and say, yeah, we, we get it. I mean, because that's what I did with the whole COVID thing. If I truly thought that the thing was as dangerous, I mean, that, that's why the timeline of that post is important because in March, February, March, I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, who's, right. who's it targeting? Yeah. I mean, no this, one, this could be bad. I'm not going to out of the gate say don't put pressure on my gym to close. What are you talking about? No, I went through the waiting period too, which I yep. think any rational person would do. Um, it's just the, the, the follow-up of it mm-hmm. um, is really what, what stood out to me. Yeah, agreed. What do you think the role of government should be in a situation like this? Do you think that the government should have the ability to require us a social distance or to shut some things down if it's proven that there's a threat out there that's dangerous enough to require an extreme action like that? Or do you think that, you know, in all cases, you know, they should let, let uh, grown adults think for themselves. I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on government's role in a situation like this. So, um, 
if I were to put myself in this Democrat Republican, I'm, I'm definitely more midline libertarian. Yeah, um, same. I definitely feel like you know government should be there. Government certainly has a purpose in our society. I mean, it's very very obvious. You know, it, it's an important aspect of our society. But I think that it I, I draw the line at civil liberties. Um, I don't want to go, I, I'm, I'm in support of any type of law that, you know, if someone else else's actions are endangering those, the other, whether it be intentional or not, definitely needs to be looked at case by case because, you know, I don't, I don't want to do anything that puts anybody else at risk. That's why I'm not overly opti- I'm not overly excited about having to wear a mask every day, but I've come to grips with it because it's, I'm less focused on the the government telling me to do it and more focused on that other person. I don't know how they feel. They could be sick. It's like, mm-hmm. just put it on. Yeah. I, so I've come to grips with it. And it wasn't an easy one. You yeah. know, it wasn't like I just woke up and immediately when I heard that the government's telling me I've got to do this, I'm right in line, saluting, ready to go. Yeah. I try and step out and, and give it some rational thought of, what if there's somebody that that's there at the supermarket that's sick? So there's, I'm not dead set on a blanket policy. Like government mm-hmm. should tell us to stay in our houses or the government should just let us run free will. Mm-hmm. And we go out and do whatever we want. There's an answer in the middle, mm-hmm. but it takes thought and it takes a common sense and rational approach. And I think that we miss that at least in here in Nashville. I think that our, our mayor missed that and may have either consciously or subconsciously let the power aspect drive him in his decision-making. I mean, you know, I, I do know that he held a, uh, some, some rallies, things like that. Uh, I, I won't go into which ones he did, but he was doing things that totally contradicted what he was doing to small businesses. Right. So for me, that's when I take a hard line stance on it. It doesn't yep. mean that I think people should be able to do whatever the hell they want whenever they mm-hmm. want. But I definitely oppose that approach wholeheartedly. Yes. I don't think that he put the thought that he should have as a leader yep. into into making those decisions. So. I, I may be tiptoeing around your question to some degree. I just don't think that there's a one size fits all answer mm-hmm. to that question. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. And and a great example of governmental overreach, I think, was um, what's the governor of New York, Andrew Como. Como? Como. Andrew Como, when he mandated that nursing homes had to receive patients that had COVID-19 back into the nursing home. Are you aware of that? Disaster. It's insane. That is insane. Jaw, so you're gonna, jaw dropping. It's jaw dropping. It really is. And it didn't get much press because apparently he's more left and the media tends to be more left friendly. And um, so it didn't really get covered. But I heard this from family. And at the time, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I thought it was just more right-wing people kind of making some things up or like, I just was like that. There's no way. Well, as it turns out, there is a way and it did happen. And he mandated that privately owned nursing homes had to accept back in patients that had COVID-19 and it's so absurd. And that's just a good example of a governmental overreach. And then you also saw double standard this summer with, you know, a lot of the protests and, and, and the BLM stuff going on, which, 
you know, look, I mean, I think there's some things that this country should fix, you know, and, um, but let's not, let's not condone. I mean, those, (laughs) the people in like those gatherings are people. I mean, masks or not. I mean, the COVID didn't care whether you were a person happened to be at church or a person happened to be in a protest. I mean, it was going to spread either way. So it really was a weird sort of double standard going on. Um, yeah. And, and imagine watching that double standard as a small business owner and you right. see that. I mean, it, it's just really, um, it, it's just really concerning. I mean, this, if, if there's, you know, there's multiple takeaways from this year mm-hmm. and that's one of the biggest ones for me is that I, uh, I'm just astonished by, like you have termed it, of the government overreach and how they've extended into areas that I never thought in a million years that they would extend into. Exactly. I heard, um, I think this was, I know this was a statement from one of the two main guys in a documentary called No Safe Spaces. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Really, really great. And um, it's two guys, and I can't remember their names, and they were doing some, like, a speaking tour in, like, 2018 and 2019, uh, just about free speech and how America is so different with free speech than other countries. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, that they were talking about in there is that the innate human desire, the strong inward human desire, is not actually to be free. It's to be taken care of. So when you think about what's happening in America right now, there's this, it does make sense. It does explain some of the mob mentality, some of the things that are going on. If, because if the inward deep human desire is to be free, then a lot of this stuff doesn't really make sense. But if it's to be taken care of by your, your college or your government or your municipality, whatever, your your mayor, all of these things. Well, then that explains sort of this, this need for laws and regulations and you tell us what to do. Like no one really says this out loud, but it sort of explains the quick receptivity to just accept like you tell us what to do. Like there's this deep need where it's like we want to be told what to do. And it's very, I mean, it's sort of anti-American, but... Listen, Americans are humans, just like Italians are humans and Brazilians are humans. Like this is, we're humans. I mean, we like to think we're Americans and we're just free at heart or whatever. And, 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 you know, an element of that is true, but we're still human. And I thought that was a fascinating point because I would have thought the kind of in the innermost drive of human nature is to be free. Well, as it turns out, no, it's to be taken care of. Uh, but we need to fight against that because we're not going to be taken care of properly from other people. We have to take care of ourselves and our families and our community and be contributors to society. So that was insightful to me. It kind of explained some of the behavior that we've been seeing in the last few years uh, that just doesn't really seem to make sense logically. Um, And it's not going to work because you can't, this is where capitalism seems to work. And capitalism can get wonky for sure, because you have people with, you know, greed and selfish motives and those types of things. But at least you have the decisions being decentralized more. When you start to really centralize decisions, which you see in a more socialistic society, immediately it just doesn't work as well as a decentralized decision structure. I mean, you see this in companies. Sure. I mean, and that's, you know, circles back to the, the, when you start to centralize those decisions, 
it's really easy to think that there's a one size fits all for every circumstance and scenario. And it's just, we, we've seen it time and time again that it's not, it's yeah. not the answer. Yeah. It, it needs more thought. It needs to be broken out. It needs to be thought of in each individual segment and how it impacts them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I agree. That's an interesting point um, of the, we want to be free versus we want to be taken care of. Um, I and that that's interesting. That's the first time I've heard of it, but my brain immediately goes to, well, for me, who's the best at looking out for myself? Mm-hmm. Is it some guy sitting in his, you know, governor's mansion uh, yep. or mayor's office, or is it me who is constantly making conscious efforts to improve and do better and watch yes. over everything associated with my life? So that's where, that's where I would really want to, 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 start that thought yeah um is is who would be more fit to make decisions to take care of myself yeah exactly 100 percent um you mentioned uh i don't want to put words in your mouth but i thought i heard you kind of say you don't pay too much attention to what's going on politically or in the news so forth so how do you what do you pay attention to and what don't you are you are you watching the news reading the news on a daily basis or are you more it is what it is. If it doesn't have a direct effect on me, I'm not going to pay attention to it. And you're going to be focused on what, what you need to be in charge of. So I'm, this circles back to my old man mentality. So I still get paper copies of the Wall Street Journal every morning. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> right there's today's copy right here. Isn't there so, something about a physical paper? Yeah, I just have to do it's it. So, it's, it's so satisfying. Yeah. It's, <laughs> The old man gene in me, but I absolutely love it. So I do read the Wall Street Journal every okay. morning, and I try and, and and hit the highlights the left-hand side. I read through the highlights, and if something sticks out to me that I really want to interest in. But the reason why I started that process is because I do a lot of market investing, and okay. um, I'm really financially conscious of, of you know the different things that I do, and you just can't help but pick it up and then see a different article that's politically related or the opinion section is really, you know, it's interesting depending on my mindset. But yep. between that and when I get home too, I'll turn on like Power Lunch or CNBC, um, just watching market activity and getting some mm. different commentary there. So I, I get that news filtered through the financial take, if mm. that makes mm-hmm. sense. Sure, yeah. Does make sense. Um, speaking of that, then what are what's kind of your investment strategy? Um, at least whatever you're willing to share here. Uh, you know your own things, real estate. Um, we've talked a little bit about restaurants, uh, stock market. What um, we we need to hear what you do for work too. By the way, Southern Wall Systems. But I'm curious from from an investment standpoint, what are what's your kind of strategy there? We'll start with, well, let's just start with the stock market activity I want to do there. So I have a, a, a set it and forget it boring uh, 401k structured, which is heavy, you know, pretty much all index funds, especially being under 40 years old. I check it once a month and that's just because I, I track my personal finances the same way I do the companies. It's like a balance sheet. Um, so I'll check that just once a month, but I don't really care. I'm not making any active 
uh, movements sporadic. I mean, I do reevaluate it year in, see how things are performing, see if my gut reaction's still there, good in place, set it, but then I'll usually leave it in place. Mm-hmm. Do you manage uh, that yourself or do you have a manager for that? So uh, we go through my, co- because it's through the 401k and through a company structure, it's managed by a, uh, by Voya, a platform. Got it. Yep. But I do have the ability to go on there the same I do with my E-Trade account and move it over, swap it over. But again, I set the thing up. It's pretty diversified as far as, you know, between international, small cap, mid cap, large cap. Um, and again, it's just kind of a boring account that just, you know, I max it out every year and just let it sit there. And um, But I do have a much more active account, which started probably four years ago as kind of a just goofy, uh, you know, just play around in it, didn't really know much about direct securities investment, it was more just understood 401ks, but had no idea about individual companies and investments four or five years ago when I started this thing. But now it's ballooned over the last, you know, couple years um, as I've gotten more educated on it. And, you know, I found myself now where that's like, I I just enjoy it. I enjoy Mm. going through, it's almost like a treasure hunt for me is going through companies, K1s and, you know, sorting through their balance sheet, income statement, cash flows, just trying to find an undervalued company. Okay. um, So so that account, the E-Trade account is definitely the more interesting one. Um, What I'll do is, it's pretty basic approach. Um, I just try and think about Think about the future and where trends are going, um, where markets going. There may be a sector that's beat up more than it should be. Um, this year has been really dynamic, obviously. Um, just with so much uh, volatility in the market, it's been really fun for me um, to try and forecast out where I think things are going, mm-hmm. trying to find the value there. So I've got a, I've got a portfolio right now of probably 15 companies. Um, I do, I have been stockpiling cash, uh, just because of what we see around election time. There's obviously volatility in election time. So been stockpiling cash waiting to strike is, is if I think that there's some value opening up there, but mm-hmm. I think my approach overall could be summed up in that one word of value. I just, I'm not particular, there's some industries that I stay away from, um, because I just don't think that the long-term games there. Um, but, uh, outside of that, I'm really open to value in any, any industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've got bank stocks also have, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I've got, uh, some, uh, potential high growth marijuana stocks. Mm. Uh, I've got, what else? Um, Railroads. (laughs) Railroads. <laughs> okay, so, interesting. It's got some boring things in there. Um, but I, I leave, I say that because that's just where I've, I've found the values in a lot of different sectors. And I've got, everybody needs to have, in my personal opinion, I'm not a financial advisor, but in my personal opinion, everybody should be holding on to those me- mega cap stocks like your Amazons and Microsofts and things like that. But that's kind of in my boring portfolio. But okay. I'm tracking them if, if I see that they get their their P ratios down to something that's reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. I think all of them right now are north of 100, which is way, way too high for me personally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm not saying that they're overvalued. I mean, there's a lot of forecasting growth built in there, but mm-hmm. I tend to focus on companies that are, you know, I think the market's just unfair. The the market's targeting them at a at a price point that um is just unkind for one reason or another. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. In the E-Trade, in the sort of the fund, we'll start out at least as the fund account, that that's where you're just buying the individual stocks, correct? Correct. And are you looking, are you spending some amount of time on that on a daily basis or a weekly basis? So the the goal for me there, I check it daily, several times a day, but it's not so much as I'm constantly active. Mm-hmm. It's more so I'm looking for opportunity because the ultimate okay. goal for me in that account is for one, I have stocks in there that I'm not, I don't have to, I'm not losing sleep over them. It's like I, I'm buying them because I'm buying them for the long game. Mm-hmm. I still have that element in there. So really the, the activity isn't to see how the stocks I own is performing that particular day because I have no intent to sell one way or another. Yeah. Um, it's really logging on to see if one of them has, is getting beat up for some reason and acknowledging why it is and if yeah. it's something that I should really be concerned with or if it's something that I think that the the company will outlast and I'll buy more. Right. Yeah, I see. When you say you said you had some high growth uh, marijuana stock in there, that would be a publicly traded company, obviously in a state where marijuana has been legalized or is it outside the United States? So it started out, there's one that I have, it's a Florida-based company that started out, I had to, I had to trade it on the Canadian stock market because I bought it, I think, a year and a half ago you know, when it came out early. But now it has moved over into the Dow and uh, it's in a legal state and mm-hmm. they're looking to expand into other legal states that are coming up like Massachusetts and I Nevada see. and those areas. Um, the other one that I have is fully Canadian based. They do have an international reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when I, when I find a sector, this circles back to kind of my, my overall thought process when I'm researching companies, if I find an industry that I think is going to have a long-term uptick in, in growth, like marijuana stocks are, I really think that there's going to be high growth there for the next, you know, 10, 20 years mm-hmm. without question. So I'll take every company in that industry and basically break down their financials. And I've built my own uh, spreadsheet with formulas that I type in and I just go item column by column comparison to figure out which ones I think are uh, better ran. Um, okay. And it goes all the way down to after their balance sheets. I'm also looking at the CEOs uh, okay. and, and the the directors and just checking into them, seeing what their track record is. And yep. It's really, I look at it as, as being an investor in that company. That's what you really are, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, really pointing out the obvious, but yeah, you need to take it serious. I, I don't, there's not a company that I own that I haven't done a thorough, thorough investigation. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You definitely are taking it serious. I mean, you're putting some time into that. Are you doing that sort of in the course of your workday more or less or evenings or so I'll check about it. the time? I'll check it sporadically. Like I'll check it at lunch, um, you know, during lunch times. I also check it in the afternoon. I just randomly mm-hmm. will pull up the account. I see. Um, but you know, it's not a it's not a main focus of my sure. day. Yep. Um, you so. mentioned not being a. F- you, I think you said not being a fan of the high growth marijuana stock. Is that because you're not a fan of further legalization, or you're just saying that that could be 
the future is a little bit uncertain there, or you're not a fan of putting too much money into it because it could go kind of, you're just not sure how it could shake out. I, sh- I should probably retract that I'm not a fan of it. That's probably the bad, a bad thing to say. It's just more of a, it's outside of the box related to its volatility right now. Sure. Yeah. What, you know, those are the, those I have two high growth marijuana stocks that are part of my 15 portfolio and the other 13 are really boring, just got long standing. They're not going to see a 5% jump in a day while right. the marijuana stocks could drop 12% by lunch and then be back positive by yes. 3.30. So it doesn't reflect my overall investing mm-hmm. strategy and mentality. But uh, I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm going with my gut on it. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think, where do you see the future of marijuana in this country? I, I truly, I truly believe that it'll be federally legal uh, probably in the next five years. Wow. E- either, uh, e- either way on the president, like if Trump, you still say the same and Biden, you still say the same? I think that the revenue... Tax revenue, if it stays Republican, um, who are notoriously on the side of opposing it, um, I, I think that the ball's already started rolling down the mountain for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we see on a national level the tax benefits associated with it, I think they're not going to be able to look away from it. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, another thing that's helping push the Republican angle of it is how it's shown to tremendously benefit PTSD and Mm -hmm. military, which is, you know, a huge issue um, Mm -hmm. of the right. Um, So I think that momentum's on the side of them. I really do. Um, I I thought that it would be honest. I I thought two years ago when I initially bought into those companies that we would have seen more activity on a a federal level than we have. Mm -hmm. So I think it's inevitable. I mean, it, it's already started. The train's down the tracks. It's going to happen. It's, yeah. Um, there was some Republican, noteworthy Republican, this summer that spoke in support of legalization. I can't think now who it was. And I shouldn't guess. But um, it does seem that it's picking up popularity on the Republican side as well. I th- and I think, here's how I think of it. This, along with even other... Well, first of all, it's really strange that marijuana is a class one drug right along with heroin. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, But this comes back to the libertarian viewpoint. I mean, in my humble, you know, uneducated opinion here, if marijuana and some of these other drugs have uh, an effect on you personally, then put the focus on education, why some of these drugs may be bad for you, why some of them may be good for you. Good uses, bad uses, overuses, abuses, those types of things. Uh, more or less, I guess, like we did with alcohol. And then let people make their own decisions. I agree. And this comes back to COVID too. Like, why can't we focus on the educating people about what's going on, some of the risks, some of the things to watch out for, some of the things to do to mitigate, you know, and then let people make some of their own decisions. But instead, it does seem like a lot of times, I don't know, I can't, I guess, I don't know if this is a... Other countries do this too, but it does seem like, at least in this country, we very quickly just make laws as if people can't think for themselves. It's very strange. Yeah, there's, it's, it's weird. And I've, I've tried to think about that as to why that's, you know, why that occurs 
even to this day, and I think if anything, it's like there's an uptick in that that thought of just issuing laws to where people can't, they don't know what's best for them themselves. And I don't, I mean, it's got to boil down into just human nature. I'm really yeah. fascinated with it on, on, you know, that the politician level of why they think and deem that it's best when I agree with you 100%. I mean, the end of the at the end of the day, I would love for a government to take the position of just educating society on the wrongs, rights, the scientific data that supports it, making mm-hmm. that information readily available for us to make our own decisions exactly. versus, you know, experimenting on our own illegally in different ways. I mean, yeah. it just opens it up to, uh, you know, sort of a Pandora's box of, um, you know, forcing people to go about it when there's just an easier answer right in front of us. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. There was some documentary I was watching this summer that it was just, this wasn't another country and there was an organization that was going in to these areas where there was high levels of uh, addiction on very hard drugs. And instead of like trying to get people to just come clean right away, they would go in there and pass out clean needles and start talking to them and start making friends and start, um, telling them about some of the ways that what they're doing is very beneficial, or I'm sorry, very detrimental to their health. Um, while at the same time, they're passing out clean needles. So they're in, in one way, you could look at it as they're sort of facilitating the, you know, the bad use of these hard drugs. But in another way, at least they're using a clean needle because these people are going to use these drugs anyway, whether it's a dirty needle or a clean needle, and dirty needles are very sure. bad. And, and spreading disease. And spreading disease, but at the be. same time, they're educating. So it was less about like trying to change behavior based on the law, and it was more about you know making some humanitarian efforts in the meantime while educating them on what they're doing is very, very bad for themselves and trying to get them hope for the future. Because I think that hope for the future, that's a big piece to this whole thing when it comes to, you know, some of the negative habits we have, whether that's, I mean, I don't, I even think some, sometimes with junk food, you know, and some of these drugs, like the issue here is we don't have a, or that person maybe doesn't have the hope for the future that, that they should. And then we can, that's where we should put some attention. Um, Help them, you know, help them with that, like the core issue, not just the surface issue, the core issue, work on, work right. on that, which is the harder work. Y- yeah. So. Yeah. Not, not treating the symptoms, but really exactly. getting down to what's at the core of it. And, yep. and yep. I, I'm in favor of, you know, it, it's, it's strange to hear this come from a libertarian, but I'm, I'm in favor of, of trying things outside the box like that. Um, to, to see if we can get down to, like we said, that core root of the problem and not mm-hmm. just going through these putting Band-Aids on a bullet hole scenarios and expecting yeah. that to last us the next two decades. It's like, no, let's let's get serious about it and, yes. and try and find the core of that problem. Yeah. I was in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania this summer. My, wife's, uh, my wife grew up Amish. Her parents are still Amish. And... Um, uh, she obviously isn't, none of her siblings are anymore either, but, um, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania is like Amish central. And, uh, so we were up there on my brother-in-law's property and I smelled marijuana and I was like, man, someone, someone's smoking around here or something. And here it was hemp. So hemp is now legal, you know, to grow. And these Amish are growing hemp like right and left, man. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really funny. It's yeah, it is funny, but, um, it also makes sense if like they, I mean, these Amish people know how to grow stuff, you know, and the, and the, and the land up there is, is great land apparently. And so instead of like 
I mean, some of these Amish people were like some of the biggest tobacco growers, you know, yeah. and now, now it's hemp. Yeah. I mean, same thing like with Kentucky, which was known as a huge tobacco uh, state um, and obviously impacted with the reduction in tobacco. Uh, I, I just think that they're a perfect state to mm-hmm. take this on. Um, and, you know, obviously there there's another thing too, is there's the lack of opportunity in that state. Um, and it's not only are, is it a path to generating more revenue to help with, you know, the school system, the infrastructure and things like that, but also giving people opportunity in a region that's not generating a lot of opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what I think is really helping that push as well. Yeah. Bourbon and hemp might be Kentucky's, <laughs> <laughs> might help them. Apparently Kentucky's not in a great place financially. No. I think Fadi mentioned that. I hadn't known that. No. No. Huh. Um, other favorite investments? So I, I, we, we've hit on the, the stock market stuff that I do. Um, I have invested in local businesses in the past. I know we had talked about, uh, I've, I've always owned a restaurant bar in one form or another for the last, uh, up until 2017 for the previous 15 years up to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, in my twenties, uh, a fearless mentality. And I don't know if that was spawned out of ignorance, uh, just overall, ignorance. but I, but I was really aggressive in, in trying to find with, and I, and I didn't have like, my family doesn't have much money. Um, didn't come for money. Didn't have a, you know, a huge, huge nest egg waiting on me to invest yeah. when I was 20. And there wasn't anything like that, but I just would, was so eager to get into that world mm-hmm. um, that I was willing to just take chances and risks and uh, have have done pretty well uh, investing in those. Um, I had a, a sort of fell in an untraditional approach. I think uh, the, the vast majority of restaurant and bar owners go in the, with the long-term plan of buying it, turning it into, you know, a long-standing 20-year nostalgic place like Tootsie's on Broadway, and that's yep. the dream. And But I got hit right away with the reality of, no, these things typically go through about a two-year, you know, 18-month to 24-month honeymoon period. Then they start to tell off, and then things mm-hmm. start to get bad. And once they start to go bad, it's really hard to climb back out. Mm. It's a battle. So... Getting that experience in my early 20s really set me up to develop a model of building out the places, which is what I enjoy to do. I hate operations of it. I've never okay. been involved in operations after, I think, my first one. I just totally removed myself from the operations. But I love the creativity part on the front end of finding a spot, you know, coming up with a concept, a story building it out and then handing the keys over to somebody who can be there, you know, as an operations guy who's there, you know, 80 hours a week, which is mm-hmm. what it takes in those. So my, my long-term play with restaurant bars switched from that, you know, unreasonable, in my opinion, approach of trying to turn the thing into a, a, a multi-decade run of nostalgic area or nostalgic era to... Let's take advantage of the 18 months. Let's show what the thing earns. Let's be very transparent in the financials. Let's hand the thing off to a broker and sell it. Mm-hmm. So that was really my approach, uh, 25 up until uh, 
2017 where I sold the last one here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that one it was a little bit longer of a honeymoon period for us. Um, definitely um, was good, uh, but uh, that one ran about five, five and a half, six years. I see. Yeah. And are you selling the property and the restaurant or just the restaurant bar? So I didn't have the capital back then to to purchase the property outright. So mm-hmm. I've always been in a lease scenario and selling the business. But had I had the capital, it would have been a no-brainer to mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. the property itself and then just have a long-term play there too with the investment side of it. Because yep. good case in points, the one I just sold here in 2017, um, you know, we were there for almost six years. And I think that since 2017 to today in 2020, that in that three-year span, I think it's been six other restaurants. Oh, wow. It's changed that much. I don't even know what it's called now. Wow. Um, But the building's still there. The building's still there, and they're still getting a rent check from somebody. They're finding somebody to go in there and and do it. So, you know, that's definitely the the ideal path if you have the capital to yeah, do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, um, and it, it, it intrigued me when you mentioned investing in restaurants and bars, cause that was one area where I just never had interest in. It always seemed very high risk. I didn't know anything, you know, didn't know anything about that. It would have no particular niche there or magic to bring to the table or anything like that. So I've just never looked into it at all. I, but I always have enjoyed, well, you know, renting people homes, you know, multifamily apartments, that has treated me very well through the years. The idea that you can, um, yeah, own someone else's home, whether it's two or three or 10 or 15, you know, homes in one building under one roof and then rent them out to families and, and people need a place to live, you know, and if you can buy it at a at a good rate and then cash flow it and then 10 or 15 years later, I mean, usually you have a a pretty good amount of appreciation. Um, there's a lot to real estate that I, that I really like. Yeah. Yeah. I think real estate is, is it's certainly the, the number one, uh, investment for me overall in my whole portfolio Mm. without a doubt is, Mm -hmm. is real estate. Um, and I think that, you know, with the popularity of Airbnb, which I have, I have, uh, a couple Airbnbs, but, uh, it's really overshadowed that model that you're talking about of the long-term leasing. I mean, that mm-hmm. thing is age, age old, tried and true. Yep. Great way to build your wealth is purchase a property, lease it out, get yourself some, some good, good renters. Yeah, um, exactly. Key. Funny, funny stories. I started that process with, uh, you know, even in my college days, uh, I had left to go intern, but I still owned the house that I lived in in college. So I decided I was just going to lease it to my fraternity brothers. I was like, yeah, no big deal. And I remember driving into work one day, and that was probably, I mean, this was probably 2006, you know, seven. So I still listened to, you know, FM radio. Yeah. And uh, listened to the morning show uh, with these these guys, the morning guys. And uh, I heard a familiar voice call into the radio. And the, the segment that the morning guys was running was, what, tell us about your crazy weekend. And I recognize the voice of a guy calling in, and he's talking about how they threw some guy through a wall, and uh, they let the dogs through the house, and just basically how they destroyed this house. Come to find out, it was 
one of the guys from college and they were at my rental no property way. house. Yeah. You heard um, them on the radio on bragging the radio. about how they ruined this house and it was your house. So I ca- imagine me calling <laughs> these college kids at six thirty in the morning, like oh, oh my goodness. Losing my mind. So <laughs> so anyway, that uh getting back to what I was talking about is is finding good renters and uh you know reliable renters and I just it's just a brilliant model. And yeah and it doesn't have to be a scenario too to where I think the, you know, uh, an approach that gets lost is that people think that they need to be able to charge their their renters a value where they're making really good cat, like they're they're really raking it in, and this is life changing. I've I've never taken that approach. It's like no, mm-hmm. get good people in and charge them really reasonable rates. Yeah, you know, have a little bit enough to carry over for damages and upkeep. You know, to where you're not going in the red on it, but. Mm-hmm. That model uh, is just proven, and uh, but again, for for maybe some valid reasons, Airbnb has really taken over, and that's kind of like the hot ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's a brilliant model. I love it. Yeah, the the long term rental is definitely tried and true. Yeah. So, are your Airbnbs in town? The reason I ask that, I know sometimes. Well, it was there was some talk in Nashville. Was this maybe about a year ago? With Nashville changing some of the laws on Airbnb, and that was really going to affect people that had Airbnbs in Davidson County. So, are yours local like that, or are they out of town? Uh, what types of Airbnbs are working well for you? So, I started this search, my wife and I, uh, three years ago. We wanted to do that's that you know that was it wasn't the beginning of the Airbnb avalanche here in Nashville, but it was definitely still somewhat in its early stages. So I had that exact concern when I was talking to her is that because we had just seen how it happened in New York with New York passing really stringent laws because all the hotels there, they have a tremendous amount of influence with the tax revenue that they're generating there. Got a lot of influence over city council and different uh, uh, political organizations there. So they actually put a law out to where they restricted it and made it really tough to do. I said, when that, because I'm in construct commercial construction as well, and I know the volume of hotels that are moving in here, I see that influence rising in this area. Oh, so I told my wife, and we looked at multiple places in Nashville, but I couldn't get that out of my brain that that looming um, that looming issue of of getting hit with restrictions. So I said, why don't we just go outside the box and try and find something, you know, an hour out that's in a really nice. Uh, nice area that can kind of be a retreat for people here in Nashville as the city grows, they want to go out. Mm-hmm. So we moved, we, we started looking out, uh, went to Hendersonville, but they were tough, you know, on old Hickory Lake. Um, they're not overly friendly and it just wasn't, it wasn't the atmosphere that we we're looking for. So we actually moved, went out to uh, Center Hill Lake. Oh, nice. And the value that we could get out there three years ago, it's picked up a tremendous amount in the last three years, but the value there, versus the scenery and the escape and the atmosphere was just no question. It's mm. like I can't get enough property out here. So we started uh we we bought our first place there three years ago and that thing has just been it's just been incredible. Mm. Uh, and then it's just grown from there. There was a little scare um you know when when COVID hit because we started seeing a tremendous amount of cancellations coming through. Um but that that sort of stopped after about two weeks there mm-hmm. in March where we started, people started figuring it out. And if anything, it ballooned 
to where we've done more revenue this year than we have the previous two years. Wow. Because of the, there's more people that are, if they can't get on a flight and they can't fly to the Bahamas and they can't fly to the Caribbean, they're like, okay, let's load the family up and let's go to a mountain house. Over sure. A lake. Makes total sense. And uh, so that we were really blessed and, and fortunate that that's how it turned out. Yeah. There was that two weeks. See, that tracks exactly with. Um, we used to do sheds and my in-laws still do sheds and they had a, this is in Lancaster, they had a two week stretch that got quiet and then it was just, they got so busy, like mm-hmm. busier than, I think they're busier than basically ever. Like, so it seems to track with how th- people were handling this COVID thing. It hit, no one knows what's going on. There's a couple of weeks, oh crap, you're pulling out of everything. Um, and then if you can, things that have to do with getting out an Airbnb camper, um, my neighbor and another friend now have, uh, bought these little campers, like 18, 20 foot campers. I think their mortgage or the, uh, loan payment all is like $200 a month and they're charging like $150 a night. Yeah. And this thing, this camper is out, man. It is so busy. And the other friend who just got him, his is... He rented his out for a month for like twenty five hundred bucks for the month. Again, his payment on it for that month is two hundred bucks. So it's 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 interesting how something like COVID and just the change of time and like the different trends that come through with the passing of time, but also technology. You know, back in the day, this renting the camper thing wouldn't have really worked because who would have connected? How would you found the people? But now there's apps for it. I forget what it's called, but sure, it's like the Airbnb of campers. You know, yeah. my, my so. best friend in Atlanta rents his p- swimming pool out, oh. rents it by the hour, <laughs> and he called That's me cool. bragging. And like last month, uh, I think in. Uh, August, he made like 2,500 bucks just renting it out to no random way. people who come in and was like, it's charged like $50 an hour and people would come and just say, yeah, I'll take it all day. Yeah. I, mean, I love that. Um, <laughs> I think it was Fadi as well from the gym who has been on the podcast, the chief investment officer of Nashville's pension fund, uh, just kind of talking through some, some ideas in real estate. And one of the things that he ha- ha- has looking at, I don't think he's done it, but where you build a development and you have apartments up, uh, you know, the, the second level and, and up. And then on the first level you have commercial. Yeah. Mixed, mixed use residential. Mixed use. And then you sell off the apartments on the top, but build in so that they take care of the maintenance for the whole building. And when you sell them off, you've now paid off the entire building. And now you have these commercial, you know, units on the first floor that is basically free and it just kicks off cash mm-hmm. forever. Such a great model because commercial is, I mean, the best property I ever owned had, I think it was um, five units commercial and then eight units residential. And um, that's something about that mixture, man. That, it honestly, it was a cash machine. Yeah. It was, it was great. So commercial, if you can get those leases structured properly, like triple net leases are... A gift from God. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hence why I wanted to do this with my company in my current office. It's like, you know, hey, I got an idea. Why don't I, I found us a great place. You guys just write me a rent check. Triple net. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a no-brainer. Exactly. And, um, Southern Wall Systems. That's what you do, right? That's your day job. That's my day job. That's okay. My, what what, that's what is my, that? So uh, I'll give you a little backstory. While I was doing all these restaurant and bars and things like that, 
it's funny because I've had this dual life of I've always been in construction. Mm. You know, and the, my, my role in the bars was the build out and the design and creativity part of it, and but the operations and data. And so I've always done construction on the side, and I worked for. I landed uh, a role with a, a mid-sized general contractor in Atlanta. They did about two hundred fifty million a year, pretty you know, pretty mid-level uh, general contractor back there, and was with them for uh, five or six years. And one of my subcontractors was Southern Wall Systems, and uh, really, really great company, down to earth, like good old boys, um, just reliable, great company, and. Uh, you know, a guy I'd worked with in the GC world said, hey, we're thinking about uh, opening an office in Nashville. He's like, I know you got some ties there. Don't you own a bar there? And I was like, yeah, because I, I had the bar going, but I still lived in Atlanta. Okay. I had the bar here in Nashville. And at the time, and, and Southern Wall Systems was also based in Atlanta. Based. And the company you're working for was in Atlanta. Right. Got so it. you're like, what, okay. what are your thoughts on opening up a Nashville uh, branch? We've got this one job there. You go up there, you run it, and just open slate, go and, you know, if you want to do $10 million a year, great. If you want to do 30 million, great. If you want to do two, that's great. You know, obviously just cover costs and, and start up. So that's was, uh, that was in 2013, the beginning of 2013. So fast forward, um, it's just progressed into, well, let me, let me back up just a little bit there. We were just in that 2013 area, just an exterior plaster. Like we would do like stucco and an ephus and a couple things. So we were great. We were really an industry leader at that time when I came on. But one of the things that I was tasked with is not only developing the business and growing the business, but also trying to refine our production and what our services were, really refining our mm. services and, and hone in on them. So that's that's really what I focused on, and it really took off, and we got to this point to where we were really the best, and I think we still are, at traditional construction. So we were, we were left with this decision to make. It's like, okay, we, we really think that we've maximized our ability for speed, quality, service to the client. What's the next thing? You know, we're instead of looking at the nuts and bolts even further, it's like, what's the next thing? So that's when we spawned off into prefabrication. Mm. We're actually, we, we opened up on a 30-acre facility. Uh, we've got two plants now dedicated to building walls. Basically what we did in the past on, on the physical job site, we're now doing in a warehouse environment, controlled climate environment. And, uh, and and building full wall assemblies and shipping them to jobs all across the country. Mm. Um, so we're really what we're doing now is just basically being a full envelope subcontractor where our clients will call us, whether it be a developer, general contractor, um, direct owner, that's basically, hey, we've got this building. Sometimes they start out with a napkin sketch. We've got this building design the envelope for me. They may have an architect on board that wants to give some advice like, yeah, I want to use 60% masonry, 40% glass. You know, let's come up with a design there. So that's what we do is we take those from our clients and then we make it real. Like we, we put it and design it and lay it out and then actually go and build it and, and erect it. So are they, are they using Southern Wall Systems to build the entire building or no? You're just supplying the wall panels. Just the wall panels. The design so the wall panels. the next step for us is on a 
general kind. Con- it, it is more doing the full building. Okay. So, but we're just in the phase right now of just being specific and and trying to be the best that there is in the country at the particular exterior. The shell of the building is what we're trying to be the best at. I see. And are you selling the? And this is a world that I'm not familiar with because your jobs are commercial, industrial, office type buildings, high rise type buildings. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We've you know we've done the Margaritaville Hotel, the Tribrand Hotel, some off Printer's Alley, the Hyatt House. So oh, a cool. lot of these big buildings downtown. Okay. Um, we we were a part of. So <laughs> definitely more on the higher commercial level, but we also prefabricate Chick Fil A's. I mean, we're do we're, you really? Yeah. Well. We took Chick Fil A's old wood frame construction model, and uh, and and introduced a steel frame load bearing prefab system that's totally changed changed their approach. I mean, we're wow. we're turning buildings over. What used to take them four and a half to five months, we now do in six days. We're able to stand the walls up full glass, put a roof on. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to watch. Wow, that um, is cool. Coming from a prefab, pre-manufactured background myself, that is fascinating. And on these high-rise buildings, you're selling just the wall panels, and then the builder is using you for just the wall panels, and then that kind of clicks in with the other frame parts of the building. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're, yeah, we fasten back to the structure. and We're... we're progressing in that area i mean we have done structures where we it's it's called a load bearing style system where we're running the interior walls and corridor walls and things like that along with the exterior i see but uh that that's really what our we're trying to we see where the industry's going the industry's going in prefab i Mm -hmm. mean it it really is because the the benefits are just tremendous yes that system is not i mean it's it's not only quality control and speed and, and schedule certainty and those elements, but also safety, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having guys that are no longer hanging off the sides of buildings exactly. are now standing on a warehouse floor. Yes. And able to do um, what would have been a really difficult task. Plus, it helps tremendously, too, where we need a lot less highly skilled labor. Mm-hmm. You know, guys that have a, a 10 and 12 year track record of hanging off the sides and being able to apply this highly specialized system. Now we can get, you know, younger guys that have yes. no experience and yes. teach them there on the floor um, in a safe way. Yes. And, and waste reduction. There's so many, that that's where the industry's certainly going. Yes. And we're trying to be on the edge of it. Yeah. And take advantage. Yeah. The division of labor is a wonderful thing. So you run the Nashville, you're the vice president of Nashville, basically you run the Nashville market. Up and that was up until two years ago. Now it's company, uh, full company. Oh, okay. So I'm actually a partner in the in the company. Okay. Um, we have an executive team um, that's comprised of five individuals, mm-hmm. and uh, our reach is you know all the way up into New Jersey, oh, all wow. the way out to Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done several projects out in Colorado, been. In discussions with several clients in California, it's mm-hmm. a little tougher market. Circles That's a tough back state. in our political discussion about what they want there. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, we we've, we've got a pretty pretty big reach and we're we're expanding pretty rapidly. Yeah, congratulations. Are the other VPs and partners executive team in Atlanta or are they here now? Everybody's in Atlanta. I'm oh, okay. Guys out in Nashville. Okay. That was one of the discussions that we had early on when they presented this with me because up until then, I was almost like my own satellite arm where I controlled everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, how much do we want to do for the year? What projects do we want? What clients do we want to work with? And, you know, when they when they talked with me about taking that same approach that I had in Nashville and applying it company-wide and bringing it in as a partner, and that was the first question I asked. I was like, do you guys want me to move back to Atlanta? Because my wife's whole family's here. Like, good luck talking oh, really? to Marissa. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> explaining <laughs> to her that. That was, they're like, no, man, with, with, you know, technology now, and this was pre COVID, but yeah, technology now, zoom meetings, we've been doing those together. Like every Monday morning, we have an executive meeting over zoom and okay. it's, it's been pretty seamless. Now I, I do travel a tremendous amount okay. now too, because I'm more on the business development side. Okay. So, um, I, I'm constantly going around the country and meeting with different clients okay. and, but the remote thing works. We're not about we're not about to lose you to Atlanta. At no, least no. With the information you have at hand at this point. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. Hard left turn with your experience then in high rise buildings. Um, have you? Uh, do you have some thoughts on? Excuse the train in the background. We do have a morning train that rolls through here that uh, gets a little noisy. I love on the, the podcast, feel you got going, right? This is, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very it? genuine in here. Yeah. We we have Raw. our own train even exactly. Um, how do you explain the way the towers came down at nine eleven? It may sound like a really weird question. So apparently, there's a movement like nine nine eleven truthers, which I didn't really know much about, never paid much attention to, um, and uh, and then just more recently, it it apparently is odd the way the towers came down. Do you have any thoughts on that? Knowing commercial construction, and I don't know if you know anything ab- about some of the questions there, but apparently a tower should not fall with the plane flying into it. And furthermore, if it would fall from the plane, it should not fall straight down as if it was like, what's the, what's the term when they like explode it on purpose? They, oh, they bring down uh, buildings with like these explosives. I forget Planned what demolition. Yeah. Planned uh, demolition. The way those towers fell, and certainly Building 7, which wasn't even hit, look, they fell like it was a planned demolition, which is very weird. Do you know anything about that? So I would purely be speculating based on my experience in the commercial world. I, I don't know specific, and I haven't done any research into it, but I can tell you that so on your new construction builds where you've got, um, you know, a cast-in-place concrete structure, and you also, from what I remember of those buildings, they also had steel construction as well in, comp- in, in concert with the CIP, cast-in-place concrete structure. So with those steel elements, generally and typically, they have to be fireproofed. Hmm. It's a spray insulation that goes on these different members. So in theory... Again, this is pure speculation. I haven't done any, I haven't really researched it. But in theory, uh, a, a collision like that with jet fuel on fire could, uh, you know, the, the impact of the jet could scrape away a lot of that fire safing on impact. Then it makes the steel susceptible to that high temperature and melting. And then once one floor goes, that's when you get the what looked like the pancake mm-hmm. selective demolition approaches. One floor 
collapse out of structure and that weight compounded and then mm-hmm. pancakes all the way down. I can see why there's interest there. Um, it, it definitely, you know, I remember watching that, uh, you know, I was going to freshman year econ at Georgia Southern. I remember watching it and not think, I was so shocked that they actually collapsed. I thought it was just going to, the top floors were just going to burn up and the structure stay in place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess it, it, it proved that it is possible that that weight of each individual floor, once the structural is compromised there and it comes crashing down, that mm-hmm. it can't support that. Yeah. That yeah. impact down from floors, but that's speculating. Yeah. And that could very well be. I mean, I am the least expert here whatsoever. It's just, from what I was reading, it's it's um, difficult to explain the way the towers fell because just with the the laws of physics and everything, like when you drop two rocks off a cliff and one rock drops straight into the to the lake below, and the other rock bounces off the side a couple of times, the energy that gets absorbed from that rock bouncing off the side of the cliff wall. Um, that uses some of the energy and it slows down the fall. I mean, it's just natural. I mean, we, you know, even kids know this when they throw the rock. They don't know why exactly it happens, but that's just the way it is. And the towers fell at just like a split, like very, um, very close to the to the rate that they would fall if it was a free fall, which just does not make any sure. sense at all. You sure. know. So I don't know exactly like what the conspiracies are, if that's what it is like behind it or what some of the reasoning is of what would be the motives and who would have you know, pre-rigged it. And I, I, don't, I don't really know much about that. It's just the way the towers fell. I never paid much attention to. Um, and uh, But as I looked into it, it was kind of hard to explain. Yeah, uh, it was definitely strange uh, yeah. to to see that. I did. I personally, um, at at the time, had no clue that they could collapse the way that they collapsed. Yeah, yeah. I know there's some that would say you're right that you had no clue they would collapse that way because buildings don't collapse that way, and there's something else going on there. I know for sure there are certain people that would say that. I don't know what I think. I'm just curious what your thoughts on how this came that came down. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to get into the conspiracies too much, but there's plenty going around these days. Oh man, I'm reading, I'm I'm on a John Ronson kick right now and I'm reading, I I just finished up the psychopath test. Now I'm reading them. So what's this with John Ronson? Yeah. Who's that? uh, Just a, he's an investigative journalist author. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Tim Graw actually recommended his book, the psychopath test, which was really interesting and so good that I, I, I mean, I, I'm a really slow reader. Me too. Um, I, I take a lot of time and I make notes and highlight and then try and think about, and I'll reread pages over and over. That book, The Psychopath, I read in one day. Even Marissa, my wife, came in. She's like, are you done with that book? I was like, yeah. I was like, it's, like it's a couple hundred page book? or how? It's probably, it's close to 300, but Holy I finished cow. it up. I mean, I was that engaged with it. I mean, I started on Saturday morning and just, you know, by six, seven o'clock was wrapping it up. I was like, oh, oh I'll check it out. What's, so then, it, what's the premise of the book? Um, it's really, so, so his overall, what he's trying to understand is the, the conspiracy theory that the world is ran by psychopaths. Basically, CEOs and uh, world leaders and politicians have that 
gene or genetic makeup that's closely related to psychopaths. There's like this test, the psychopath test that uh, I I can't remember who the, the founder was, Owl somebody, but he created this test of like 30 questions and 20 traits to figure out which of the, how close you are and the higher you score on it, the closer you are to being like a psychopath. Like the, the most extreme psychopaths on the planet scored like 29 or 30. Okay. Uh, we're up in that range. And he goes into not only examining, you know, the serial killers, the people who have absolutely no empathy, but also the correlation between CEOs that just can go into a town and totally shut down a manufacturing plant and lay off a thousand people yes and laugh about how their stock price shot up yes and how those those traits are closely similar Ooh, so I'm really, check that out yeah it was really really i really enjoyed it and uh, you know what started this conversation is you talking about conspiracy theories and that led me to his book he wrote back in 2003 called them okay and it's uh it's tracking i'm only a couple chapters in but it's tracking uh you heard of the Bilderberg Group. I think Joe Rogan's talked about them a couple times. Bil- Alex I Jones. haven't. Bilderberg Group. Yeah, supposedly. So the theory is that there's this group of uh, this group of people um, that are basically running the world. Uh, they're going around. They're creating the wars. They're starting the wars. They're they're choosing. They're manipulating the the world banks and. Mm. So, yeah. Is it the deep state or this is a different group? I haven't gotten to where he's made that comparison right okay. now. You know, in the first few chapters, it's um, it's really just he, he's sort of tracking them. He's finding all these conspiracy theorists and trying to figure out where they're getting their sources from, why they came up with these wild conspiracies. I see. Where is their evidence? So he's compiling it now to, to lead us to Yeah, that. interesting. I'm probably going to get both of those books. They yeah. sound very fascinating. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Joe Rogan's recent episode with, I can't remember the guest name, but it was on uh, the guy's an expert in uh, narcissism. It's pretty fascinating because apparently there's at least two types of narcissism. And there's one is what you think of like very self-centered people that are just everything's about them and all of this. And there's another type of narcissism that I'd never heard of before, which is pretty interesting. And it's like, I forget what the term is, but it's almost like closet narcissism where it's like, you know, you're living in your mom's basement, but you just know you're the best and everyone needs to, it's on everyone else that they haven't figured out that you're the best yet. And like, you just have like a thousand Instagram followers, but if people could truly see who you were and would like, would like understand you for your awesomeness, you would have like a couple million followers, right? but they just haven't discovered you yet. And that's on them and you're still the best. It's, it's kind of fascinating, like what we can do in our minds and justify and believe about ourselves and the world. And it's, it's intriguing. That stuff is intriguing to me. It's a little scary. It, it is. And to me, it's super fascinating. I, I just finished uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Robert Greene's book, The Laws of Human Nature. And that's another really fascinating, but it's really dense. It's not as an easy of a read as John Ronson is, but that the, I'm really intrigued by <laughs> just human nature in general of like yeah. why why certain people act the way that they act yeah and how i'm rationalizing it too is like i really think if i can spot these things out that it's not just having trivia knowledge it's also being able to take advantage of it in work life exactly social life exactly being able to spot and plus too 
one benefit that I've seen come out of it that I didn't anticipate by any stretch was that I find myself having more empathy for people. Um, spotting the guy who's an asshole at the gas station and just being able to identify now is like, that's not a me problem. That's him. That guy's yeah. just to reflect. He's having a just awful because yeah. like I haven't had that look up until now and yep. get that understanding. So I had to get defensive. And mm-hmm. So it's just really fascinating to me. And I think that I'm seeing some benefits that I didn't anticipate by researching further on why people act the way that they act. Yes, that is interesting. I'm, I've been intrigued by it, just human nature for a long time. And, and I don't know that much about it, but it's it, anytime I can learn a little bit about it, I'm always interested in it. One of the things my mom raised us as a single mom. My dad died when I was 10 and I was the, I have a younger brother, so I'm the oldest son. I have two older sisters, but I was a very difficult kid to raise. And um, she let us finally get horses when I was 13. And I'd wanted to be a cowboy since I was a little kid and wanted a horse at 10, 11, 12. Finally at 13, she let us have them. And her thought process there was, and she just, it was ours. Like we picked out the horse, we bought it. We, one, we trained a few, we, you know, others we bought and sold and those types of things. And it was our world, man. As a young teenage boy, like it was a hundred percent us. And, you know, we found a horse trailer to buy and all of this. And I mean, she paid for it and she let us do whatever pretty much we want to do it was our world. We rode him. We want to ride him. We fed him. We took care of him. This, all of this. And her thought process, which I think is really, really brilliant is, for basically a young troubled teen, you know, working through all of these life issues, I needed a world to control. Like I needed a part of this world that I could control. I could make the decisions. I could, um, you know, just, well, really make my own decisions and create my own world and be in charge of something. I needed to, um, not, not dominate, but I needed to have dominion over something, you know? And, um, I think that is, I think of that when I see, uh, someone who just has like a very quick reaction on the road to like road rage. It's so quick and rampant and everything. Here's what I think part of that is. I think part of that is their life feels out of control. They don't have much control. They just feel like they're part of the system and they don't have much control about what's going on in their life and their dominion and those types of things. And so when something triggers that on the road, that's one thing they can control. Like they can lash out, they can honk the horn, they can, you know, um, flip someone off or scream or holler. Like the outsized reaction that you sometimes see, and you don't see it much here at all, at least I don't in Nashville, but it does, it does exist out there where like the outsized reaction to someone else's driving decision doesn't match. There's something else going on. Sure. And I think sometimes it's because they don't have much control. And that's one thing where they can, they can lash out, you know, and exhibit some amount of, um, you know, some amount of authority over someone else. I don't know. It's a working no, theory. And, and I think it's even worse too, in, in being in a car too, because if you if you really break it down and think about it, we're driving these steel dr- death traps at high speeds. So we, we've just gotten used to it and complacent because we've just done it for so mm-hmm. long. But I still think in our subconscious acknowledges that it's a dangerous scenario. So we're already in this heightened state. So oh, it's that's really easy to. It, it's really easy when you're that close and on edge to just to snap and go hyper aggressive. I've yes. got it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I've had to develop 
mechanisms to treat it when it happens, you know, mm-hmm. through breathing and through trying to just think, you know, I, I circle back. And one of the things that I would do is just putting my hand on my heart and just thinking to myself, this is a little morbid, but just thinking to myself, I was like, when this thing goes, it's all over. That's yeah. the only thing that's holding. So I go through these, these different mechanisms to try and bring me back down yeah. from that state because I'm still subject to it. I still yeah. acknowledge, like if I get cut off or somebody's driving too slow, like I know that I, I acknowledge I'm in this hyper state, but yeah. that's, I think that I'm in the minority. I think that the, the vast amount of people don't acknowledge what state they're in and just go pure raw emotion and aggression. It's yeah. just not a healthy habit. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, we were at a Tony Robbins event years ago, uh, a few of my friends, and one of the things that he talked about was just as in like an attitude of, I guess, gratitude, like placing your hand over your heart and just being grateful that that heart is still pumping. And he had some breathing kind of meditation exercises go with it as well. But it's so true, man. I mean, that is, here's the, that's the single thing that I'm probably the most concerned of with contracting COVID-19 is the potential lingering effects on some people's hearts. I don't know about if certain people are susceptible to that type of thing, because apparently it can tear some of the muscles and then you sort of have diced muscles on your heart. So I don't know if that happens more if people already have heart issues or other preexisting conditions. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, everyone that I know that got COVID-19 is fine and everything's good and their heart hasn't been torn to shreds. But that I just think about that a lot. Like that's a single organism that needs to be taken care of the really the most. I mean, when that thing stops, it's, it's over. That in your brain, you know, feeding that brain and keeping that thing sharp is absolutely is so critical. Yeah, part so it goes back to my morning routine and just yeah. making sure that you're grateful. You know, uh, I read a funny quote from Einstein yesterday that said, "You know, there's two ways that you can look at life and go through your life, and one is that nothing's a miracle, and one and the other is that everything's a miracle." Yeah. You know, it's crazy the impact of that of thinking about that notion early in the morning and just acknowledging that how I really think it puts me in this mode of not worrying so much about the things that are outside of my control. Yes. The opposite path to that. And it's really get is just being caught up in the madness and the media yep. and everything that we've touched on today. Mm-hmm. It's like, which path do you want to take? And, um, you know, I, I'm doing everything I can to try and take that path of looking at everything as a miracle. I mean, yes. the fact that we're here at this point in time, the, yeah. what I what I strongly feel is the greatest country on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the opportunity and everything that I've been blessed with, it's like, how can you not be grateful? Yeah, it's so true. Like the fact that we can be sitting here on a, what is it, a Wednesday morning, you know, mid-morning, you know, and getting to know each other. And then later we're going to go to CrossFit maybe. And like, here's water, here's coffee. Want more coffee? Heck, it's, you want some bourbon? Like all this, like we have air to breathe and the sun shining and a train just went by. And it's like, that is when you stop and think it's all these things that happen on a daily basis, every day, all day. I mean, these things were like designed by, I think a creator God and we get to enjoy it. And a lot of it just, just passes over us. You know, so often because we're so caught up in like everything that's going on or who knows what. Like we have all these distractions that we just allow to be built into our life. Yeah. It's amazing that with everything that you just said and everything that we have here, it's like the fact that even you and I still have to make a conscious effort to acknowledge it. 
mm-hmm. because it's so easy to take it for granted. It's so easy to get caught up in the news cycle that, you know, or you, especially somebody like me is you could be grateful, so happy. And then somebody cuts you off and it, you, it's like we got this natural reaction to want to go back in there and be defensive. So yeah. to, it takes effort to get back into it. It's amazing, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's human nature. It's just the way people are built. Yep. So it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, agreed. The psychopath, let's see, the psychopath test. Is that a new book? Does it talk about Trump? I don't think it is a new book, but I don't think that he talks about Trump in it. I'm trying to see if there's a correlation to um, any traits that he mentions. I don't think that there's a direct connection okay. there. He's got to be a narcissist a little oh, bit, right? I mean, there's no yeah, doubt about I mean, that. It, but anybody can take that and look at the 20 characteristic traits and apply a good chunk of them. The psychopath to him? Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. It, I mean, you're saying to Trump or to any, to any individual you're saying? Certainly to Trump. Oh, got it. You, yep. The, the cool thing is, too, is you're, you're, you're reading that and then... I would imagine you're probably going to go in the same place that I went is immediately looking to see, man, am I a psychopath? Yeah. Well, the one of the cool lines from one of the psychologists that's quoted in the book says, if you're reading this book right now and you're wondering whether or not you're a psychopath, that means you're not. Oh, really? Because a psychopath will generally read that and think, yeah, this is about totally, you know, people nowhere near me. Interesting. Like, I'm not okay. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah. So just that's asking helpful. the fact that you asked the question is, yeah. is positive. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see Trump? He is, uh, apparently he's over COVID-19. He's back out on the trail. He was saying something on Twitter, um, about running the crowds and kissing everybody. Can you pull that up, Andrew? Oh, right here. Play, play that one second. You have the volume on. <laughs> I feel so powerful. I walk into that audience and kiss everyone. I'll kiss oh, the guys man. and the beautiful women and the, I'll just give you a big fat kiss. I mean, did we figure out if that's real, Andrew? I think it might be. You think it might be real? I think it might be. I mean, that I think is it's even a problem. The fact that we even, you know, even question whether or not, you yeah. know, it's still in my, in my personal opinion, if I heard the president and saw something like that, what, I would have thought five years ago is, yeah, that's fake. That's yeah. nuts. Ridiculous. Yeah. It would make something so silly. But now we watch it and it's like, I'm probably 90% sure that that's, yeah. <laughs> if not a hundred. Yeah. You know, it's, right there. It's like we've, we've reduced our expectations. Yes. Um, to this level that is really concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm more worried about, younger people and what they're witnessing those that are just coming they're at a, you know those are at an impressionable age you know and their frontal cortex isn't fully developed and they're trying to sort through this world mm-hmm. and figure things out and then here we have the leader of the free world with this kind of attitude and characteristics it's like man what have we what what's the new normal look like yeah. moving forward? Yeah, it is a great question. And it's not just affecting America because you touched on it in the leader of the free world and what 
I think a lot of people would argue is the greatest country in the world. And the leader of the free world is acting like that. So it's not just the effect on America and our younger generation. It's the effect on younger generation in other countries as well. Sure. So, yeah, it's... um, he, he's, we've witnessed him say things that I would get mad at my six-year-old nephew for saying. Like, for sure. I, I don't, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about the, the problems that I have with it. And then it's on both sides too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can go through and find some, some new norms on uh, the democratic side that really concern me, really bother me. I mean, the, the thing that really sticks out to me and, it appears to be overlooked by a lot of our liberal friends is the Nancy Pelosi whole salon uh, ordeal. Yes. So I wasn't as outraged at the fact that, you know, it's bad enough she's she supported these laws that have shut down these small businesses, really crushing small business owners, especially with the single mother who owned that particular salon and she goes in there and she gets the you know gets her hair done or whatever while everybody else the normal quote unquote citizens don't have that luxury that was that was bad i'm like yeah that's really bad but what the what kicked the avalanche off for me was how she handled it it's mm. like yeah i'm sorry i was set up like okay this single mother you're going to blame it on her? Oh, uh, so I didn't know she did that. Yeah, she came out and was like, yeah, I apologize for being set up. Yeah. It's like, what new normal do we have now? Yes. To where our politicians are blaming innocent small business owners, yeah. single mothers that, I mean, and she was viciously attacked by, you know, the the left in that area with threats on her children and things like that. She the business had, owner? Yeah. She took in a lot of threats. Because they genuinely felt like she set up Pelosi. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That's so. That's so awful. Have you ever seen the TV show Veep? Yeah, it's on HBO a little bit. That Pelosi moment in that salon doing that crazy thing where no one else can get their hair done, but you get to go in and get the hair done is uh, such a Veep moment. I mean, for people that haven't watched that TV show, it's like this. I forget her character's name now. Um, Oh, shoot, it's it's I can't think of it. But anyhow, she plays the character Ju- extremely Louise well. Louise Dreyfus. Louise Dreyfus yeah. is the Ju- Julia Louise Dreyfus is, is right? the actual yeah. lady's name. But the, the character, what, what's the what's the character's name in the in the show Veep? I can't think of it. Anyhow, she can't get out of her own way. Basically, and the show is pretty funny. I'll give it that. It's yeah. a lot of chuckles. Um, but it was such a Veep moment because it's like you can't. This is not something. This this is painful to watch. Like it this is, is it's not uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. For, yes, for, I, and I, I would hope that rational common sense, whatever you want to call them, silent majority, whoever. I, w- I would hope that the majority of Americans watch that and it bothers them and it right. makes them uncomfortable. And I, I, I still hold on to that thinking that that's how we are. Yeah. I really don't think that the majority of people can watch that or watch Pelosi and say, yeah. 100%, we're backing you. I really think that it makes us sort of cringe. Yes. Um, but, you know, how close are we to losing that to where, Yeah, I, I don't know. How close does that become the new normal and the next generation doesn't cringe as much and the one after and that just accepts just, it. Just accepts and then, it. And then, you know, then that's bad. Then that's a bad. real bad situation. It's bad. And we lose, yep. we lose basic 
civility. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be a doomsday theorist here, but the signs are, are on the wall um, to anybody that's really paying attention is that this isn't a sustainable path that totally agree. Are, and, and I, I think it may have started pre Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were getting some signs on it uh, in, in the later stages of the Obama era, but I think Trump just totally exacerbated it and just really made made it uh, <laughs> just he did what the hardcore Trump supporters would say to you is that he is playing a game and for him he's smart enough to know what needs to be done to win the game and he's got it rigged and that's not who he really is he's just performing and doing the performance that he needs to do in order to win the election and put this country back on track and I would say at what cost I yeah mean, I you know, I've got to go in his direction in this election, but it's not a vote placed out of 100% support of character and moral authority. It's none of that. It's, it's purely policy-based. Mm-hmm. I have some concerns with Biden yeah. um, and, and his overall health. I mean, that's just, you know, that's not me being mean or, yep. or being way hard right or nothing. It's none of that. I mean, it's just common sense. I have yep. some real concerns there. And I, I don't know. I, do, I, I get it. I, I do see some, some legitimacy in those claims that some hardcore Trump supporters will say is that he's just playing a game. He's mm-hmm. telling it like it is, but like it circles back to the new normal. I don't want that to be the normal. I don't That's want right. the normal to be to where he's just playing a game and riling people up. And yeah, that we need to be better than that. We need yeah. to we need to be a better example. Our politicians do. Yeah, I totally agree. And I don't. And I don't. I wouldn't take all that away from Trump. I also don't think he's that smart. Um, I don't think he's. I, I think some of these things is he's just doing the spur of the moment. I think a lot of people have a hard time keeping up with him. I mean, he tweeted last week that the negotiations were off. That didn't go very well. And half a day later, he's basically trying to get him back on track as quick as possible. And that wasn't necessarily a game. It was just, well, that was the wrong decision, so let me change course there. And what do you, you know, even further, one of the other things that bothered me was his tweet about the Supreme Court nomination and how he's picking her to, you know, to basically rule in his favor if the election goes to the Supreme Court. Oh, I didn't know he outright said that. It's like that poor lady, like she, she did a great job of handling it. They showed it on Power Lunch. Of course, I'm watching okay. the CNBC, but they showed a snippet of her and how she, how she approached that direct question. But where I'm going with it is that he, he cannot get, it seems, it's almost, there's a degree of him wanting to lose this thing on purpose with his actions. Yeah. And I don't know if he's just delusional to his actions or if he's, subconsciously making an effort he knows he doesn't want to go again. I don't know. There's just so many unknown questions, but it's just not, it's not rational thoughts. It's like, dude, can you just take your phone, just drop it for a month? I mean, just go to the debate, have a civil debate. I mean, you're going against a guy who's clearly got cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. It's like, I would just let him talk. Like, tell me what your plan is and let him fumble on himself like he's done in every interview he's done. That is such a great point. And Trump is smart. You would think Trump has to be smart enough to acknowledge that. And his advisors have to be smart enough to acknowledge that, which by the way, 
Biden did have two surgeries in the 80s. I don't know if you knew that. On his yeah. brain. Two brain surgeries. And, yeah, didn't he have an aneurysm? He had an aneurysm, yeah. and it was two, two, uh, two surgeries. And his doctor, of course, now says that has no impact on his cognitive abilities. But, I mean, there's enough of clips where you don't know what Biden is trying to say. And so, to your point, wouldn't the better strategy have been to allow Biden to just talk and let him talk himself basically out of the job. I will say Biden performed way better at that VP debate than, or I'm sorry, on the presidential debate than I thought he was going to. Mm-hmm. But Trump just would not let him alone. I mean, it was, it was, it was obnoxious. I, I made it in maybe eight minutes and then it's just, it just unbearable. It was uncomfortable, embarrassing. It's, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really thought, and I had the same expectations you did. I thought that, you know, seeing the videos of Biden where he's having trouble putting together coherent thoughts. It's like he's he's talking, but when you, when you try and stitch these things together, there's not a lot of rationale behind it. It's yeah. really concerning. Yep. So I thought the plan, was, like you said, would have been to go in there and just let the guy you yep. know, talk himself way out of that job. Mm-hmm. Because, so it shows decline. But he, it's like Trump gave him this lifeline of... Yeah. No, I'm going to be rude and interrupt you to where all the focus is on me, not the fact that you can't put a coherent thought together, just how much of a jerk I am trying to rattle you. Yeah. I think <laughs> and you, I, I, that's in eight minutes. That's yeah. me. Isn't that something? That's the <laughs> opinion I formed in eight minutes. And apparently it went on for 90. <laughs> yeah. It went on for 90. I mean, but this, I think this would be, this would be pretty funny. I think this would be ironic if Trump lost the election in a year or two or three from now, it actually kind of leaked out that he didn't want, he didn't want that job. You know what I mean? He'd had four years. It was enough. He was ready to go back to the Trump organization and do his thing. I mean, and you know what? I wouldn't entirely blame him. The the theory, and I really think that it's a strong theory, is that Trump never intended to be president. Um, You know, I I think it was more political because he had some dabbling of that before 2016, you know, where he had talked about it and threatened it. I mean, there's even a clip of him in the 80s talking about it, just joking around. Yes. So I think it was more, that the, the theory goes like this, that there's more, it was more of a push to get recognition for his shows, get his name back out there. But the paradigm shift in his attitude was when Obama called him out at that speaking event where he said, there's one thing that I'll be that Trump will never be, and that's president. For a blatant narcissist like Trump to hear something like that, I, I really think it just switched his whole philosophy on it where he's like, I'm all in. I'm yeah. going hard for yes. this thing. But, you know, fast forward being a president for four years, you know, the theories out there that this has been pretty tough, you know. Yep. Uh, and one, one, you know, clip that I watched of him where he, where he made the comment about how when he, at his, at his inauguration, him and Melania were walking up and he looked at her and he's like, can you hear that? Half of them are booing. She goes, no, they're, they're cheering. They're cheering. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure half are booing. So for a di- you know, a, a straight line narcissist like that, the impact that something so subtle like mm-hmm. that can have on somebody who wasn't brought through that process of a yes. politician. I think he's, I think that there's an element there. There's some truth to that theory that he may not be overly excited about another term. Yeah. That's so. interesting. the, the challenge that I would see with it, it with Trump is that it, it would be a tough pill to swallow to lose at anything, including sure. a reelection, particularly to Biden. You know, so that's the one. I just wonder. 
you know, that aside, I could see where he's trying to lose. If he's big enough, mature enough to be like, no, this is a loss I'm willing to accept. And later I'm going to tell people that it was a loss I'm willing to accept. And here's why. Like, I could see that. I just don't know if he's, I don't know that he's got that in him. I don't think he's capable of that. Yeah. I agree with you on that. I I don't, I think that it's, he's down the road on it. It's it's going to push, but maybe it has an impact more so on his, on what punch he, he, Punches he may have pulled, and I know he's not one for pulling punches, but things like this that he may have had a little bit more conscious awareness of to try and scale back. Maybe that's out the window because it's like, I want to win. Yeah, I don't want to lose to this guy that he's making these claims for, but maybe that makes him a little more reckless. I don't know. He's just such an anomaly. Yeah, he really is. It's hard to to pin on what his his intentions are. Yeah. Not necessarily a... (laughs) Not necessarily the ideal characteristic you want. No. If you're president. No, it's not. Big. You don't know where he's coming from or what his intentions Yes. Are. It's a bummer that we're now have, even having a discussion about whether we vote the person or the policy. Like, can't, seriously? Are we asking too much to have both in this country? You know what I mean? Like, you're voting for the policy, not the person. I, 100%, and I've said that, it's like... And it even goes back to 2016, where it's like, man, a country of 330 plus million people, and these are the only two options yeah. that are there. I've voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. <laughs> but, you know, it's just amazing to me that there's got to be, I've heard some really cool uh, philosophies and theories out there of, of, of different ways we can approach it, of, of even doing a scenario where it's like, we alternate where there's one, you know, Republican leader and then a Democratic vice president for a four-year term. Then they switch. And, you know, the people, the caliber of people that you bring in the track records. And there's some really interesting theories out there on, on ways we could go to avoid uh, what we're doing now that's not, you know, totally rewriting laws or the constitution it's just a it's just a modified approach for a new era that we're in yeah that avoids a situation where we're just left having to choose between the lesser of two evils see i think that's a very interesting idea and this occurred to me in the first three to five minutes of the vice presidential debate is could we because they handle themselves very well can we not just have mike pence and kamala harris go run the white house together and not because I agree with, I don't, here's the truth. I don't know that much about either of them really, but what I would like about that is they conducted themselves very well in their, in their debate. They had coherent thoughts. They were very articulate. They both seemed very bright. And, um, and then we would sort of have, you know, viewpoints from both sides, if you will. And you can have those viewpoints and make decisions kind of not together because, you know, presumably Pence would be present in that scenario and, and, and Harris VP, but you would still get input from both sides of the aisle. And, um, and a few people, you know, just messaged me and were like, hell no. Like, you know, that's because you could never have the, that far left should never come close enough to the white house, those types of things. And I thought that kind of reinforced the whole reason why I think that would be a good idea to begin with, which is people are so entrenched, you know, because there's people on the right that would, think that's a terrible idea because the left shouldn't come anywhere close to the way, but there's people on yeah. the left that think the same way. And so now here we are, we're back at the same problem. Yeah, you know, just, we just have to battle it out and pick one and go for it. Never ending cycle. It really is. Well, I want to get, let you out of here so you can get to the gym. You going to 1130? I am. Headed straight Fantastic. There. I'm going to go there too. I'm going to have to take a little <laughs> easy. I'll probably just have to ride the bike most of the time. 
Um, but thank you so much for being on the podcast, um, man. I really enjoyed this. It was yeah. fun getting to know you a little bit better. We've been working out together for, I guess, a while, I don't know, a year or so since I've been more consistent now at the at Forte. Um, but this was really great to have you on and hear more about uh, what you're up to and everything. So thank you very much. Thank you. Anything uh, you want to leave with the listeners as you go? We have a lot of people in business and entrepreneurship and people that are interested in investments and, you know, living deliberately and, and being their best, I guess, optimized human, so to speak. Anything you want to leave with uh, people before you go? Uh, I don't have any quick tidbits of inspiration or, <laughs> but I, I would like to, maybe, maybe we set up a, another one sometime and where we come in and really hone in on investments and strategies yeah. and different things like That'd that. Be fun. I'd really love to talk to you about, about that. And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, let's do it. Well, Chad, thank you very yeah, much, buddy. my man. Good luck. And we'll see you at the gym in a few minutes. <laughs>